Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish unto you. Something evil. Is anybody here from Cleveland? Yeah! Does anybody want to party? Sure. Not recommended for impressionable children. All right, welcome to It Came From Cleveland, episode 11 on the 11th. How weird is that? And, uh, yeah, we've got, uh, it's like I planned it that way or something. Got a big show for you tonight. A lot of fun celebrity birthdays we're going to be talking about. Uh, of course, with Joe Santorza from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I got some Scranton trivia for you out of, all the, out of this episode, too, Joe. No. Yeah. There's trivia here? I didn't there know there's, there's trivia there's in Scranton. There's Scranton-related trivia regarding tonight's show that I will share with you. So... And, uh, and of course, Michelle is joining us with uh, uh, some supplemental, oh boy, some gr- a great uh, subject for you tonight, uh, one of the greatest voices of all time. And again, it's kind of nice, we're talking about mostly people who are alive tonight. Uh, yes, it is. Very cool. <laughs> and I, oh God, talk about a voice, it just makes me shiver in a good way. This is yeah. the voice we're covering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is no. This is a fun show. We've got co- kind of a, a nice broad swath. Uh, we'll be covering uh, some comedy movies, a little bit of drama, uh, some superhero movies, horror movies, as always. Uh, the Twilight Zone, of course, and oh boy, in the robots, man, they they just got they got the hardest question um, ever that they've had to answer tonight, and I'm not even going to tell you who asked it. So. Um, but yeah, so welcome, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, Miles is off tonight, so he's, uh, I, I guess uh, I, I'll, I'll say feeling under the weather. So, uh, but we wish him a speedy recovery and, uh, and please give him our best, Michelle. I will. I will. And he thanks you all for it ahead of time because I would talk to him a little earlier and he was just yeah. like, Oh, but he, he, he's glad you guys understand. So, Oh, absolutely. I've been there. So. Um, but anyway, yeah, and, and of course, uh, we, we, uh, would be remiss if we didn't talk about, now this is, this is kind of cool because Bob Weatherwax just had his birthday last week. And of course, Joe, you are good, close friends. You and Barb are good, close friends with Bob Weatherwax, of course, uh, from the, uh, the Lassie legacy, uh, of dog trainers and, you know, and he came into, um, quite his, the career of his own. Uh, kind of uh, with a, a few big movies in the '80s, of course, and um, and w- it's going to be our pleasure to talk about some of the movies he worked on tonight because there's other June birthdays connected to some of these films, and the first first one being Back to the Future from 1985. It's Michael J. Fox. Uh, his birthday was yesterday, I believe. So, uh, so that's exciting. And you said uh, you had a birthday blowout with Bob last week, and uh, you, you talked about Back to the Future, right? Yeah, we did. Uh, 
Yeah, we had a, a party at the Veterans Center for him. It was a nice crowd, and uh, we had a little private room. And, um, yeah, we, th- we talked about Back to the Future because um, there was a notable event in Bob's life during the filming of Back to the Future. Is that his father, Rudd, who started the whole Lassie La- legacy and did yeah. so much uh, with the Hollywood Dog Training School... Uh, going all the way back to uh, Asta in the Thin Man series of movies. So um, we were talking a lot about uh, his legacy, but uh, his father passed away uh, in February of 1985 during the filming of Back to the Future. And um, we talked about that. And attending the party is... uh, a fellow dog trainer from Hollywood that um, worked with him and worked on other films too, Richard Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Richard worked on Poltergeist and uh, E.T. Yeah. They were his dogs. And um, he was there. And the story was that when Bob's father passed away during uh, filming of Back to the Future, Bob really couldn't couldn't face going back to the set yeah and so. he asked richard he asked richard to uh to finish with uh oj who played einstein uh, yeah he asked quite- to finish so richard was there at the mm-hmm. party so we talked about those things and, oh, and uh, uh, now, question mm-hmm. for you was oj short for anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is yeah. <laughs> it was OJ Sims. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> that Water. was Bob's that was Bob's sense of humor. <laughs> so it's Orenthal James? Orenthal No, not really. Just OJ. <laughs> Just OJ. But we talked about OJ's uh rehearsal. Um actually OJ is orange juice. It was was OJ Simpson's it's OJ orange juice. Um Yeah. We talked about the the audition and how uh, Bob pulled that off with Steven Spielberg and Spielberg's uh, confession to him that nothing's new under the sun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. Well, you know, things like that. So it was a good party. It was a fun party. Uh, Sharky attended oh, because good. Richard Hawkins, who, like I said, worked with Bob in Hollywood, uh, is training our dog, Sharky. Sharky. That's so awesome. we took him down there as part of his training uh, regiment and uh he had a great time and bob I was really thrilled because bob hasn't been with a dog well since his passed away which is well over so. yeah so well i'll tell you what it, i i have it pulled aside here uh we'll continue talking about this uh because we're, we're going to talk about I, uh, oj's big role in the movie but here is the the trailer from 1985 for back to the future Steven Spielberg presents Back to the Future, a Robert Zemeckis film. Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Well, history is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? He's sending Marty 30 years back in time. It works! It's a flying saucer from outer space! Ah! 
Now, he's trapped in the past. This has got to be a dream. About to meet... Chocolate. ...his future father. He's a peeping tough. Wow! And he's making an impression on his mother. He's an absolute dream. And he can sleep in my room. Ah! And if you do, it'll have serious repercussions on future events. Ah! Now, he's got to make his mother and father fall in love. For crying out loud, I haven't even been born yet. And only Dr. Brown... And help him get back to the future. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? Precisely. Michael J. Fox. Whoa, this is heavy. Christopher Lloyd. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Back to the future. Yeah, so, uh, that you know, that movie... There are so many good laughs in that movie. The the the, the it's a UFO from outer space. Uh, that that part and uh, also using uh, the weaponized Van Halen uh, in his Walkman <laughs> uh, against his dad, I believe. Yeah, he did against uh, George McFly uh, to freak him out while he was sleeping. Um, uh, but no, that, uh, you know, what I, I just, I have so many fond memories of this movie because, you know, it came out when I was what, 14 and, you know, it was one of the first movies we bought on VHS, uh, you know, as a kid. I mean, we had some, but not a lot, but this was like, we must own this movie, you know? And, um, it just, you know, just everything about it is so much fun. Uh, you know, and of course we loved, uh, uh Christopher Lloyd from taxi uh you know and uh and of course uh michael j fox from family ties as well so what were you gonna say yeah either one of you go ahead uh, say what you're gonna say okay no i i just kind of heard a little gurgle i was worried um i i it's one of the few movies of uh, other that has michael j fox in it i really enjoy and i i I, but i I, christopher lloyd you know i I love him. He's just <laughs> the yes. bomb. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, I loved him on Taxi. There were some memorable moments on that show. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. He that character Jim was amazing. <laughs> Reverend Jim. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, and uh, God, Joe. Yeah, yeah. I loved uh, one of my favorite scenes in Back to the Future was uh, when uh, Michael J. Fox was playing the guitar and. He started doing his uh, Johnny Be Good thing. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. And uh, that that was one of my, you know, and no one ever, you know, played a guitar like that <laughs> in those days. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, Marvin. That's- this is your Chuck. This is your cousin, Marvin. Marvin Barry. Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have that. Um uh that clip or not no i don't um, that was a, I, here's the sound you've been looking for or i think this is the sound you've been looking for yeah yeah you know that sound you've been looking for <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I mean so many classic things about it um and um and of course well one of the you know most important things is uh you know bob weatherwax his he has the the honor of being the uh, proud owner of the first dog time traveler. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, and uh, here's right. here's a little scene uh, from that. The thermal displacement occurred exactly 1.20 a.m. in zero seconds! 
Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? That's exactly what he did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He was installing uh, plutonium. <laughs> yeah, from Somebody the Somebody had to find a use for a DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> So, the funny part is they couldn't sell those things after the movie was over. There were, I think Bob said there were three or four of them. Uh-huh. Uh, and you could have, anyone that they offered to sell them to anybody who wanted after the movie was shot uh, mm-hmm. for 500 bucks. And now there's a huge market for them because everybody, every kid who grew up on it, you know, that's having a midlife crisis wants to buy one. Um, there's I know. a there's a huge, uh, there's like a big, uh, you know, there's like a club of guys across the country who, uh, you know, own DeLoreans and actually customize them to look like the Back to the Future uh, time machine. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I think but- I think that actually was a um, a plot of a of a uh, an American Dad episode, if I remember correctly. Oh, I yeah, I'm not sure. Um, they were trying but, to get one of the doors. I think it was the left door for the DeLorean because they were customizing it, and him and Steve went cross-country to try to get it. Wow. So, yeah, so there you go. It even inspired a, a, the, a, an animated series. Yeah. And Bob says, what, we, what am I going to do with a DeLorean? They asked him to buy it. <laughs> to buy one. <laughs> so what am I going to do with a DeLorean? Yeah, really. I would love to have yeah. one now, though. That would be that would be big bucks to the collectors. <laughs> yeah, oh, it, it would is. be. But back then, it was just. Uh, he said oh, it's God. like like every movie. The the props that are laying around, they just want to get rid of them. Yeah, it's and like trying to resell three, a Netzel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they had three DeLoreans hanging around. All they want to do is get them off the lot. <laughs> well, and that's and, the thing uh, is, you know, people really didn't know if this movie was going to take off either. You know, because uh, you know we. Uh, the it had a very rocky production for the first six weeks, um, mm-hmm. and I I went and I, I looked for this because if everybody knows there is a little bit of footage, but there's no audio um, of Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly in you know mm-hmm. in, in scenes you see with uh, Chris uh, Chris McGlover, uh, primarily ones in the uh, in the diner and him running across the street and stuff like that. And, you know, a couple of them, you know, in, in uh, the high school and whatnot. But um, I, I did a lot of interviews were very diplomatic about Eric Stoltz until I found a Leah Thompson one. <laughs> Leah Thompson apparently does not care what Eric Stoltz uh, thinks. She doesn't care about hurting his feelings because... What and this is from uh, Pop Girls Goes the Culture, uh, a YouTube video I found from 2015. But you know, like Christopher Lloyd was, you know, he's like, oh, he was a fine actor, you know, and you know, 
Um, mm. and, and be, again, being very diplomatic. And then I saw one with Robert Zemeckis and, you know, and they were like, oh, it just wasn't clicking and it wasn't what, what exactly what we needed. And his, you know, comedy mm. delivery was different than what we needed. Leah Thompson, she kind of laid it bare. And, um, this is, uh, it, this is pretty funny and you'll appreciate this, Joe. They cast me and Eric Stoltz, strangely enough, uh, as Marty McFly and Lorraine McFly. And um, then, um, then they, you know, fired Eric and got Michael Fox. Right, what was going on during those first six weeks? I mean, was it? Um, I, th I think I had done this other movie with Eric Stoltz, and so he just was really. Uh, he had a really interesting process. It kind of he liked to create uh, friction. I think. Um, he liked to be called by his character name all the time. He wouldn't answer. If you said Eric, he wouldn't answer you. You had to call him by his character Method. name. Which a lot of people find hard, mm -hmm. you know, to do. And, and he wanted to grow his fingernails really long because guitar players have long fingernails and they were dirty and things like that that just weren't going over in a big, giant summer teen movie. You know, they wanted him to be a, you know, a teen idol. And um, they also you know dyed his hair and tried to cover up his, he's got red hair and they tried to cover up his freckles and uh he just after the first read through of back to the future everybody's sitting around going ha 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 isn't that great you know because it really was a great script and they said eric what do you think and eric said i think it's a tragedy really oh Silent. my god tumbleweeds <laughs> and they said why do you think it's a tragedy and he said and rightly so. He said, my entire family remembers a past, and I, Marty, remember a completely different past. It's a very sad thought to think that you would remember something, all kinds of memories that no one else remembered. He was right, but it wasn't the time <laughs> to bring that up. He should have done that over cocktails with just me and a few close friends. Sure, or an interview two years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah, what, go ahead. That's what that's what Bob told me. He said uh, Bob was happy because he got double the time on the movie set, so he got double pay because he had to reshoot all the sh shots. So he was hired for six weeks. He got twelve. Nice. <laughs> so Bob was happy, but um. Uh, he said he, he, Bob's explanation was that he was a method actor. He was really a serious method actor. Well, and yeah, like Leah just, Thompson said there, you know, uh, he wanted yeah. to be called by his character's name, and that's like the number one rule for for method actors. And it's, it's just so right. dou so douchey to me. They never leave the the, the uh, persona. Yeah, you know, they, they live it twenty four seven while they're shooting. And he had just finished. Um, mask yeah with uh you remember uh, so Cher, with share yeah share right and um so he was they said he was a real real downer on the set and um like i said it, like she said his comic delivery was not there mm -hmm. <laughs> it, just, it was not funny and they were very bob said the the director was very upset with him, and they couldn't wait to get rid of him yeah, and, and he was—he uh, was like, "Oh, I don't know who did the wardrobe for him or everything, but he totally was like, you know, he looked like Edward Scissorhands. He was dressed all in black, and you know, his hair was dyed black and everything. So that was that was kind of a poor decision. And then you have, you know, 
brightly colored Marty with the denim jacket and the orange vest and the plaid shirt and the white sneakers right. and you know uh, so there right you, you can't lay it all on um uh Stoltz but whoever chose to make him look the way he looked you know I mean that that, that seemed kind of silly you know he, they they dressed him like a goth and you know that might have influenced his uh his decisions so he looked too I think, old for I think the some part of it. too I think some of it was was I think Michael J. Fox's uh, own persona coming into the. Movie. I yeah. mean, he, you know his 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 energy and his his persona uh, sort of transfigured the the character. You know, yeah. I think I think actors do that to the character. He was more of a freewheeling kind of guy. Yeah, I know. I know Bob enjoyed working with them. Bob worked on uh, Teen Wolf uh, right prior to that movie. Yeah, they both came so, out in '85. Uh, so, they, yeah, because they said when they when they started shooting over again with with Michael J. Fox, he came over. She came over to Bob and said, "Hey, Bob, here we go again. Where's our next movie?" <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, they're, they're, oh, uh, I'm sorry, ahead. I don't want to spoil it. I had some audio for from uh, an interview that he did uh, from 1985 about uh, how he be- how he was able to actually do his schedule. To do that and uh, and family ties, so uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. But um, but Michelle, I mean, you know this uh, you know that th- this could have been you know this could have been a flop if they would have had Eric Stoltz in it. It could have been, you know, or just a completely different thing altogether. Yeah, it would have definitely had a different energy dynamic. Um, because you know, uh, as as you guys were saying, oh, um, it's. Uh, I'm, I just, uh, yeah, Stoltz? Michael J. Fox has such oh. an amazing, he, at that period of time, he had a very bubbly personality, yeah. that very high energy. And Stoltz never came off to me as a very high energy person. No, so. no, he's always been very serious. And uh, even even like the last thing I saw him in was that Caprica TV show, the Battlestar Galactica spinoff. And uh, it was just very dour through the whole thing. And. You know, it's like I, I I like him as an actor, but uh, I'm, I'm not overly impressed with uh, his decisions as an actor. And and if he's if he is method like that, then you know that that could affect it. You know, I mean, there are some people who can do method acting really well, like Daniel Day Lewis. Um, but I don't think he insists you call him Abraham Lincoln. You know, every second of the day. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know there there's a I, I think you you know like somebody else who was really a, a jerk about that was uh, uh, Jim Carrey on the set of uh, Man in the Moon, the Andy Kaufman biopic. Um, that he I, I watched a documentary about that, and I just it made me lose so much respect for Jim Carrey, just the way he would do things, and then. Jared Leto on the set of the Suicide Squad movie would send people used condoms and things like that as he was, you know, because that's something the Joker would do. No, yeah, I don't think sick. it is. <laughs> yeah, so that that's that's just creating a a, a toxic work environment. So uh, I'm not saying that's what Stoltz did here, but you know, I'm sure it wasn't helping. You know, that he was because she said that uh, Leah Thompson said that uh, he he thrived on conflict. So, uh, that, that could be a reason why he's not super, super, super famous, 
I'm not saying Michael J. Fox's career kept going up and up, but uh, he's done a lot. You know, he has a big, a big budget trilogy under his belt, and some other big ones. So, um, but here is uh, here's an, an interview a bit that I want to play um, from 1985. Michael J. Fox on Wogan talking about before the movie had even you know made it big. I saw a screening of that movie and it really is sensational. I'm glad you liked it. I have to say that uh, isn't the real star of the of the film The Car? Well, yeah, but you don't have to tell me that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, the, the car is incredible. Well, this is a DeLorean car which goes back and forward into the future. Right. And right. takes you back back into the past and then you're going to try and get back to the future, which is how the You can never explain this movie. That's, That's a good thing I thought about I just explained it. You can't explain it, it so seconds. people really have to go and see it, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a DeLorean that this friend of mine who's a mad scientist converts into a time machine and, uh, and I get kind of trapped in it. It takes me back to the 50s and I, um, I run into my parents and uh, screw things up royally and I uh, have to kind of get it. I have to introduce my parents. Yeah. Uh, otherwise I won't exist and, and my mother uh, is kind of smitten with me, which is a sticky situation. That's right, yeah. you, but if the film manages to get over that. Yeah, it really e Oedipal, handles it really well. Oedipal situation. Right, right. Um, it's the kind of all-American teen hero that you play, though, isn't it? Kind of, yeah, which is good for a Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't feel a bit uneasy being a Canadian playing No, it's kind of funny, actually, because people say that, yeah, kind of uh, the all-American kid from Vancouver. Yeah. Which is really Would you like, I mean, the, the, the thing about the film was you went back in time and subtly changed your own life by being back in the past. Right. Would you, I mean, did it make you think at all? It certainly made me think watching the movie how much you'd like to go back in time and see things. Uh, I can't, you know, I thought about that because uh, it was something I thought about when I was doing it. What would I change? What would I alter? I, I, don't, think it, I don't think it changed it. I mean, it worked out all right. I yeah. mean, it's here I am. For you, know, you, yeah. In England. <clears throat> how old were you? for my tickets. You're supposed to be about 17 or 18 in the movie, right? Right. How old are you in, in real life? Uh, are you? Yeah. No, I'm 24. You don't look it. No, I know. I know. I, I think I made a deal somewhere along the line that I don't want to know. You haven't about. got a painting in an attic anywhere, right? Yeah, like I, there may be. There yeah. may be. But uh, yeah, I've just been real lucky. Just, How did you manage to stay so fresh doing that movie? Because I know you were also shooting that very successful Family Ties series that you do in the States. It was, uh, it was a strange situation because I, I worked uh, on Family Ties from 10 in the morning until about 6 at night. And then I'd get in the car and go over to Universal and work until about 2, 2.30 in the morning. But um, the, the people, the energy in, involved with the other people in the film was just so great that you were just so inspired when you got there. I mean, Bob Zemeckis, who directed it, is, is, is a total lunatic, but uh, happily can be productive in society uh, by making films. And, uh, and he, he really had a lot of energy. And, 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 uh, and I guess there's the, the other Stevie Wonder, not the one who was here tonight, but... Uh, Steven uh, Spielberg um, certainly had, had things going and under control. So it was something that I really believed in. And well, I he's think making so much, many movies at the moment, Steven Spielberg, but eventually this program will be made up of stars from Steven Spielberg movies coming in every Monday, <laughs> Wednesday, and Friday. You're in, in America now with the success of Back to the Future. You, I suppose, could be regarded as a superstar. And yet here, the movie hasn't opened yet. So, uh, so nobody knows who you are. Yeah. <laughs> Where would you rather be? Well, it's, uh, where would I rather be? Here in the States. Well, th this, this is fun. This is fun, especially um, um, I went out for uh, a drink with some friends on Saturday night uh, when I first got in, and 
I was quite glad by the end of it that no one did know who I was. Um, but uh, it's kind of nice uh, to, 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 to have a bit of both. I before think. it before it hits, and it right. hits as it will very well, big. especially because London is such a great walking town, you know, it's a great place to get out and walk around and, and see everything. So I, it's nice to have seen it like this before. Either they see the movie and, and like me and stop me and talk to me, or see the movie and want to stone me. As a, <laughs> so one way or the other, I've seen London, so. I don't think they're going to want to stone you. Uh, I think no. you're going to be very, very big indeed. It's a wonderful well, movie. I, ho I, I hope that, uh, that everyone here likes the movie. It's a lot of fun. Glad you could drop in and see us. Thank you. Michael J. Cox. So that was a that was a hectic work day for a 24 year old. I mean, that's good work ethic. Working mm. on family ties uh, all in the morning until the afternoon, and then uh, heading out and working until two in the morning on a movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think uh, that's a heavy load for any age. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I mean, but you know, of course, his his energy level was you know just amazing, and it and it really it really does stink that you know, uh, that you know he's he's battling a disease that would you know that's taken a you know you know that that harmed his career you know um, because you know he he can't do his physical roles the way he used to you know so. Um, but, uh, but anyway, um, we're going to, we're going to go to the break. Uh, we've got some more stuff we're going to talk about. We will, we'll talk a little bit about Teen Wolf when we come back and, but a movie with a Cleveland connection starring Michael J. Fox. Oh man, there's Cleveland connections. We got Scranton connections coming up. Um, this, this movie, uh, it, it absolutely has it all. And I don't know if anybody saw, but happy birthday to Melissa from Kill the Hippies. Uh, my good dear friend from the last... Uh, years um, <laughs> we're the same age I'll be turning the same age as her next week um, uh, but uh, so for the Kill the Hippies block tonight it'll be all songs that Melissa sings and that is Murder Babble, Audible Pang Now for Your Demise and Entrails she writes such lovely titles for songs I love it <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get a love song out of Melissa no way so anyway, thank you, uh, Melissa. She's oh, she's awesome. So AKA PPNV on Facebook. Um, but yeah, so we'll be right back right after the Kill the Hippies rock block. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off.
Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? I don't. I'm in for the whole show. Chris Evans, I, I, I've just come to realize he's kind of the master of one-liners from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I have so many good one-liners from him for tonight. Um, uh, but yeah, so uh, again, happy birthday, Melissa. And uh, that was our shortest rock block ever because her songs are typically very short. So we had four songs in under five minutes. <laughs> four minutes and 19 seconds, I believe. Uh, so yeah, welcome back, Michelle. Hey, bloody entrails, gotta love it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And uh, and Joe Santorsa, Scranton, Pennsylvania, welcome back. Are you ready for the, the Scranton trivia? I hope it doesn't have anything to do with bloody entrails. No, no, uh, or now for your demise. Um, so... Uh, Anyway, um, actually, yeah. Before we before we get to this, um, well, actually, yeah, we'll we'll talk about this first uh, before we do the Teen Wolf trailer. That um, we'll save that. But um, this is a movie that I truly loved. I've seen a couple times. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I just started rewatching it. It's on YouTube now. I couldn't even find like a really proper trailer for it. I just found a TV spot from 1987. Uh, but it's called Light of Day, and it stars Michael J. Fox opposite Joan Jett. Uh, it's a, it's a really fun movie, I, I gotta say. And there's some, uh, some of the other cast members might surprise you, and this is where our Scranton trivia will come in as well. You got real family loyalty. Michael J. Fox is Joe Rasnick. Do what you want with your life, but Benji ain't just yours. He's mine, and he's mom and dad's, and he's his own, too. He's trying to help his family. Maybe it'll bring us all close together. But he's got a dream of his own. He's taking it all the way to the light of day. Michael J. Fox, Jenna Rowland, Joan Jett, Light of Day. Rated PG-13. Starts tomorrow at selected theaters near you. All right, now, I, I don't know if that's, uh, the title track sounded familiar at all to you, but it was written by Bruce Springsteen, Joe. Uh, it's called Light of Day, just around the corner until the light of day. Um, mm -hmm. And... Uh, it, it, it it's you know that that song was played a few times but basically uh one of the um band members in their their band the barbusters was what they were called by the way the movies is shot partially and set in cleveland ohio that's where this cl clip came from for uh the start of the show is anybody here from cleveland Uh, parts of this movie were shot at the Euclid Tavern in uh, the, the now defunct Euclid Tavern in Cleveland, Ohio, where I went to see uh, several bands. Uh, the one and only time I got to see one of my favorite bands, No Means No, was there. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it was pretty cool. Uh, Michael McKean um, from you know Spinal Tap and uh, Better Call Saul and uh, you know. Lenny and Squiggy. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Michael McKean played bass in the band. And, and, and I watched an interview with Joan Jett. It, it, unfortunately, it was there was another guy in the interview, and it, he kind of distracted from talking about the movie. But she said she really loved working with Michael J. Fox. He was very helpful uh, since she, you know, hadn't done much acting. And she said, he's, you know, they're still friends to this day. And, uh, it, but she, you know, where she helped, uh, where he helped with acting, she helped because she was like, yeah, we put together a real band for this movie. They actually rocked out and played together. And if anybody knows, you know, of course, uh, Michael McKean, you know, 
all the guys in Spinal Tap know how to knew how to play their instruments. Although he played bass in this band, and Michael J. Fox played all the guitar, and um, you know did a little bit of singing. Uh, he was in a real super strong singer. So, um, but uh, but yeah, so this was an actual real band. Now the rest of the cast, um, uh, Gina Rollins played uh, the mom. She actually has a June birthday too. She's retired. But the late, and Michelle, I don't know if you'll recognize this name, Jason Miller, uh, we just talked about a movie he was in um, last week, the, the Ninth Configuration, and he was also in The Exorcist 1 and 3. Um, okay, yes. So, and um, he, uh, and later in his life, before he passed away in 2001, um, he became the uh, artistic director of the Scranton Public Theater in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yes, he did. And and his alma mater was the University of Scranton, Catholic University yes, of America. Yes, it was. So, uh, University of Scranton and Catholic University of America. So I, I think that's two separate things, yeah. Um, it is. That's <laughs> Washington, D.C. So, yeah, I thought that that was kind of cool, you know, so that we got a movie here with a Cleveland-Scranton connection, right? Yes, Jason Miller was quite the celebrity around here. He did teach a course at the university at the time I was there. Oh yeah, I never took it. <laughs> yeah, oh. he was a guest instructor. Yeah, he also was a regular at uh, Barb's cousin's bar. Oh uh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, he, was he, was, he was a playwright as well. He was a playwright as well. Was there uh, any? Um, uh, any uh, local stories that we should know about? Uh, well, I don't know if if you ever heard of uh, a play he wrote that um, got a Pulitzer Prize that was based on a uh, high school uh, basketball team in Scranton. That championship uh, season. That championship season, yeah. Jason Miller wrote that, and. Um, yeah, it, it, that was based on an actual, an actual occurrence here in Scranton, and um, they shot it here too. Um, did they make a, was fil a, a film of it? Uh, yeah, uh, nineteen eighty-two, I believe. Really? Uh, there was a film adaptation, and it was on, um, and it was on Broadway, or off Broadway, for oh, okay. for yeah. a while. And yeah, Jason Miller wrote that and. Directed it, I think Bruce Dern, Stacy Keach, Martin oh. Sheen, Paul Servino. We were just were talking about Bruce it. Dern and Stacy Keach last week, and we just talked about Charlie Emilio Estevez and Martin Sheen. <laughs> we just didn't talk yeah, about um, Paul Servino. Yeah, Robert Mitchum was the coach, and mm -hmm. Bruce Dern, Stacy Keach, Martin Sheen, and Paul Servino were the uh, were the uh, over the hill you know, glory days, you know, players. And, wow. Um, yeah, that, that, like I said, that was, uh, he wrote, wrote that, that play and, uh, won a Pulitzer Prize, won a Tony. So, yeah, it was quite the big deal around here. That, and that is awesome. He was quite, quite the big deal. Yeah, he was quite the big deal around here. Yeah. So, it's uh, a shame he passed he away. Quite a, quite a, drink, so quite a drinker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any wow. stories from the bar? 
I would have to consult Barb's cousin. Okay. The, oh, okay. <laughs> the bar is closed now. <laughs> well, so, uh, but it was very close. It was right on the corner, University. So he, <laughs> he could shuttle back and forth quite. Sure, quickly. sure. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but no, that's that's uh, that's really cool. I, I'm I'm glad I stumbled into that bit of trivia before we, uh, uh, you know, before we started the show. Um, because I was like, oh, yeah, wait, yeah. I was like, Jason Miller, we just talked about the ninth configuration, which also had Stacey Keach, of course. So, um, and, and Paul Servino, by the way, has come back to Scranton and has, uh, just a few years ago, did a movie in which my brother-in-law was an extra. <laughs> I don't know whatever happened to that movie, but they, they shot a, a funeral scene in my hometown of Dunmore, which is a suburb of Scranton. At a, at a cemetery there. So Paul yeah. Servino uh, kept his sort of Scranton roots, too. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah, he, uh, um, and of course, uh, he, was, uh, he didn't, he, oh, man, what did he come reprise, did he play Perry Mason in, like, the, in the 90s? I think he they they awesome. did it try to do a revival of Perry Mason with him as Perry Mason in the nineties. I'd have to look at it, but I know he's been in a ton of different stuff, obviously, um, and uh, and of course he's the father of Mira Sorvino, who has uh, right, done right, a lot of great right. stuff. So, um, let me see. I'm looking. Oh yeah, I just saw him on Star Trek: The Next Generation the other day, um, and. Uh, let me see. I thought there was something that he did that was a Perry Mason. Yeah, 1993, Mason. Serveno subbed for the late Raymond Burr in a Perry Mason TV movie. Oh. So apparently he did He did uh, do something there. I don't know. Yeah, I, I did. I did remember that right. So, um, but yeah, he's you know he he's just done tons of stuff. But yeah, I just saw the episode of him on uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation the other day. Uh, he did some uh, some great great scenes with Michael Dorn as Worf. Um, and uh, but yeah, so uh, but anyway, he so also, back. They, said he, they also starred in a, a. I didn't know there was a TV version of that championship season. Oh, okay. Played a different role than he did in the movie, but um, yeah, I guess they did a TV show Interesting. about it. I never saw. It. Interesting. Well, um, uh, back to Light of Day uh, again. This is a movie I recommend. It's it's kind of hard to find, um, but it is free on YouTube right now. So look for Light of Day, nineteen eighty-seven. The full movie is there. It's a pretty good uh, quality uh, version. If you can tolerate the YouTube ads. Uh, um, or if you have ad blocker on your computer, um, but here's a here's just a little scene with um, the the basically the story is a brother and sister, um, they're in a rock band together. Uh, Michael J. Fox plays the brother, Joan Jett plays the sister. Uh, the, she's kind of uh, um, quite the rebel, um, and kind of ir an irresponsible mother, um, and uh, gets involved with, uh, some not so good people, but Michael J. Fox wants to see her get better, but the relationship with the mother is very strained because she's super religious and she, you know, um, the, she sets her off at a, at a family dinner for, for mom's birthday party, 
she, uh, they, they, this is what happens when mom decides to say grace and get a little personal with it. You got real family loyalty. Oh, Michael. sorry, that's the trailer again. Never mind, here's the scene. Patty, we forgot to say grace, honey. Okay. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for bringing us together safely. We thank thee for watching over our house. We ask thee to watch over Patty, Joe, and little Benjamin. Grant them health. Help them through their trials and tribulations. We in particular ask thy help for Patty. We ask thee to show her a special measure of grace. Help her to understand her life. Guide her ways. Forgive the sins of her youth. Ooh. I told her, I warned her, I was real clear. I told her if she mentioned church or rock and roll or marriage, I'd walk out of the room if I was in it, hang up the phone if I was on it. She can't bring up those subjects no more. It was just prayer. Yeah, that's her trick. Thought she could get away with it. No way, man. There's no middle ground. It's her or me. It's her birthday, Patty. Yeah, that's why I agreed to come. I knew she'd pull something like this, man. She's getting old. Hey, you give her an inch and she takes a yard like crabgrass. Joke. She's, she's trying to destroy us, Joey. Music is all that matters. All right, look, I gotta go inside. I'll tell her something. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Yeah, so they, they worked really well off each other in this movie, and uh, I, I recommend it. It might not be everybody's typical fare, but it is a, it's, it's a cool movie, you know, about rock and roll in Cleveland and, you know, uh, some family stuff and everything. But yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's pretty great. I, I, it brought back a lot of good memories, you know. Again, this, this came out when I was 16 and just starting to get into, you know, playing guitar and everything. So in you know, and of course I was like, Oh, they're from Cleveland, the big city in Ohio that I eventually moved to. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I'd forgotten that part about it. I was like, Oh my god, that was set in Cleveland. And I was so young when I saw it, I didn't even realize that they shot parts at the Euclid Tavern. And I had been there. So so it was pretty cool. But yeah, this is uh and again, Joe, I know you're you're a fan of uh Springsteen, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he's my, he wrote the theme of my life, so, yeah. Well, he wrote, you know, yeah, the song. His music the- and my coming of age uh, late, uh, in my 30s, um, mm-hmm. coincided. So, yeah, we, we were, and we're the same age. Yeah, we're well, and, a month apart. And, uh, and, and this movie is literally named after the song he wrote. So, uh, so yeah, I think you might want to check it out. I think you, you might dig it. Uh, but, uh, but Michelle, you, you gotta love Joan Jett though, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that scene you just played, you know, sounds like something my mother would have done. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I kind of thought maybe when I, when I played it, I was like, wow, I wonder if Michelle's going to say she can relate to this. And, and I'm not surprised you said that from things you've told me in the past, you know, so 
And, uh, you know, and I, I got some of that stuff from not, not my immediate family, but from aunts and uncles and stuff like that. Um, you know, that, that judgy, it's like, oh my God, just stop. You yeah. Know? I, and, but I really, I really, really love Joan Jett and it's, it's kind of cool that she was in this movie. Um, do you know if she ever made it into the rock and roll hall of fame? I don't recall. I, I think maybe, but uh, but yeah, the okay. soundtrack the soundtrack does have Ian Hunter's uh, Cleveland Rocks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah. Let me let me see if she's uh, in the Rock Hall. Uh, I, I just love her. Hall. She was beautiful. I love her. She just seemed to kick ass. Her yep. and Pat Benatar, you know. Two of the yeah. two very similar looks, and I love them both. So yeah, twenty fifteen, uh, they were the Joan Jett and the Blackhearts were put in the Rock Hall, Yippee. and um, and uh, of course, uh, uh, I'm a big fan of the Runaways too. The Runaways were so good. They, you know, they had a lot of good punk songs. There, that was they. They made a pretty good uh, biopic about the Runaways. I can't remember what it was called. Oh, man, I think it was just called the Runaways. I'm not sure. But, um, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, um, cause you know, that spawned Lita Ford and Joan Jett, you know, um, uh, that band, but, uh, there was some real skeezy stuff cause they were kind of y- very young girls in that band and they were being carted around the world, the Japan and stuff and some creepy stuff happened. Um, oh, but, I bet. wow. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, Joan didn't let it uh, get to her. She, she was fine. So. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so there it is. Everybody, uh, definitely a great movie recommendation, uh, with, uh, again, uh, uh, June birthday guy, Michael J. Fox, uh, with a Cleveland Clinic connection and a Scranton connection. And, uh, where else are you going to get movie recommendations like that? <laughs> so, That's right. uh, but real quick, before we go to the break, here is the Teen Wolf trailer. Michael J. Fox, life hasn't been easy. Hi. I'm going through changes. His voice is changing. Give me a keg of beer. (laughs) Is there anything wrong with me? He's got hair on his chest. He stopped being a boy. What do you think about to get worked up? At last, he's become... Scott? Now open this door right this minute. A wolf. An explanation is probably long overdue. Dad, an explanation? Look at me. Look at you. He's always wanted to be something special, but he never expected this. Teen Wolf. He's got style. There's something different about you. He's got class. Wolf person. He's got hair all over his body. Wolves aren't supposed to be shy. He's a wolf in teens' clothing. And tonight is his night to howl. Teen Wolf. A new comedy with Michael J. Fox, star of Back to the Future. <laughs> All right. 
I know you guys don't think this movie is great, but I loved it as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, it, it had some just, really funny moments in it. Go ahead. Well, maybe maybe part of the problem was that Bob did work on that film too, uh, and all of his the footage of the dog were cut out of the film and left on the cutting floor. Uh, I did see a little bit of footage of the dog in the trailer. I don't, I don't know how that would... You see, the director of Teen Wolf mm-hmm. worked with Bob on a movie just prior to that. I think that was okay. 1984. So Bob worked on a movie prior to that with the same director. And the director loved Bob's work so much that he wanted to incorporate the dog into Teen Wolf, which wasn't in the script. So he sort of cajoled the producers to do that. And they did, begrudgingly, and they shot the scenes, but um, uh, apparently the producers, the they went to cut the film, didn't like, they thought that it distracted from the main theme. Yeah, that's a drag. And uh, so they, all of Bob's work le- were left on the cutting room floor. But he did, uh, that's where he met uh, Michael J. Fox, and, um, and worked... You know, with on the set with them, and then uh, that's why the reunion at uh, Back to the Future was was funny because he came running up to Bob and said, "Hey, where, where are we going next?" You yeah, know, we seem yeah. to be uh, crossing pads a lot. No, that's and cool. So that that was yeah. But one uh, before you go uh, on on Paul Sorvino, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of flack in Scranton about that championship season. A lot of people thought it made fun of and was anti Scranton. Okay. Uh, so there was a lot of criticism here in the city about that that film and that that play, and um, and there was a lot of criticism of Jason Miller, uh, who Paul Servino looked out up to as a hero, and he says that the city should have been happy to have such a resident, you know, uh, who gave so much to the city culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, so would. Paul Servino did. It's little known that Paul Servino is a sculptor. Yeah, I, I did see that on his on his Wikipedia page. He sculpted a a, a picture, and I'm I have a copy of it from the Scranton Times. If I do, I'll post it. He sculpted oh. a, a statue of of Jason Miller and uh, and unveiled it here in Scranton, December of 2008, I think it was. Oh wow. That's very cool. So that's neat. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, he also threatened to break uh, Harvey Weinstein's kneecaps. Not he harassed oh. his daughter. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's, oh, that's right. cool. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's another story. But anyway, well, yeah, Jason Miller yeah. has deep roots here in the city. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So yeah, I'm glad we yep. we got that those connections out there. But yeah, so yeah, but just yeah, just cool. briefly though, Team Wolf. Uh, you know, not a perfect movie, but it, it was some fun fodder no. uh, back in the day for me. You know, again, fond memories as a, as a teenager, and you know, the, the, it just struck you know struck the right chords with me. You know, so Michelle, any any yeah. opinions on uh, Teen Wolf before we go to the break? I like the original with Michael Landon. Oh, I was a teenage werewolf. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. But so. no, it was it was funny and it was kind of goofy. But I just it just was a little too um, 
high schooly for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I understand. So, uh, but anyway, all right, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, go to the break, and we're going to uh, get uh, oh, we've got all kinds of stuff we're going to be talking about. So I don't want to spoil anything too quickly, but we will talk a little bit um, about uh, another movie. Bob Weatherwax worked on since it's his birthday month as well. A little movie from 1982 called The Thing. I think I'll have me a little drinky winky. And now, on with the show. The friendly voice of Cleveland. It's going to be a good night. Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls. Who survived this terrifying ordeal? A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish undertaking. Something evil. What I'd like to give you is a bus ticket. A one-way bus ticket to any department store west of Cleveland. Not recommended for impressionable children. Find in all the Cleveland routes. Welcome to It Came From Cleveland, episode 11, for June 11th, 2021. And we've got a lot of fun uh, celebrity birthdays to talk about tonight. And, of course, stick around for our review of the Twilight Zone episode that aired 61 years ago today. Tonight's episode, The After Hours. I love this episode. Gonna tell you right now, this is totally right up my alley. It's got it all. It's got some shocks and some laughs and, uh, you know, uh, and uh, it, it was creepy, too. So, uh, welcome back uh, to the program, uh, of course, uh, and Michelle will be talking about uh, a lot of really cool uh, horror films starring, um, and, and voice work, uh, starring uh, Keith David, who also is in um, the one of the movies I wanted to talk about. He shares a birthday with Bob Weatherwax, um, and that was uh, l- the fourth, right, uh, or the fifth? fourth joe the fourth so uh the day after Sue's birthday a lot of june birthdays um and uh yeah so michelle will be talking about keith david more um and we we actually if if you feel like you need more time we can probably go ahead and give you more time michelle um but i thought we would uh start talking about uh i and and the thing the the thing is (laughs) about the thing uh, and thank you for sharing that uh, newspaper article there with, with the uh, Jason Miller bust uh, by Paul Sorvino. Oh, yeah. um, the, um, uh, the the film, The Thing from 1982, based on the Thing from Outer Space from the 50s. I don't remember what year it came out. Interestingly enough, that movie was featured on the television in the movie Halloween, directed by John Carpenter a couple of years before. Um and uh, but yeah, the uh, uh, Keith David was one of the stars of the thing. And here's the trailer. And I want to talk about the trailer when we come back too, because it doesn't. I, I, I I'll just 
play it. Here we go. 100,000 years ago, it found its way into our galaxy. Trapped in the frozen wasteland of Antarctica, it could not escape. Now the men of Station 4 have made a monumental discovery. An alien creature had frozen, but not to death. And man... It isn't Benny! ...is the warmest place to hide. impressive about this trailer is it didn't show you anything you got to see the reactions on the faces of the actors you got to see one of the guys who had been you know uh the the shapeshifter had taken the form of you know out in the snow just going you know Uh, but you didn't see anything so i can't even imagine what it would be like to see that trailer, want to go see it based on that, and then getting what you got with all those practical effects. My God, because there's so many unforgettable practical effects scenes in that movie, Michelle, that, you know, honestly, when I was a kid, when I saw it, that kind of scarred me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, it was absolutely freaking amazing, the morphing scenes and stuff like that. But I've also heard that there's some, was some really creative use of edible substances. There were, there were, so, <laughs> um, uh, or at least chewable substances for dogs. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but yeah, so there were a lot of, there were uh, actually, Bob Weatherwax kind of came to the rescue in, in this movie, didn't he? Because the, the former, yeah. if I remember correctly, there was another dog trainer that couldn't get the dogs to do what needed to be done, like the, like the helicopter scene, for example. Right when, because um, they talked to Bob about this just the other day, that he was Bob was not. Uh, John Carpenter didn't take Bob up to Alaska to uh, to do this film primarily. He was supposed to do a small portion of the film with the dogs, mm-hmm. but he ended up staying longer than he had anticipated, which is why I ended up with one of those parkas. But yeah. that's another story. <laughs> um, a guy named Clint Rowe, which was another dog trainer that Bob knew, um, had those uh, those dogs. I think I don't know if they're Malamutes or Norwegian dogs, but mm-hmm. in any event, uh, if you remember the opening scene to the thing, it's it opens up there. There's a the vast tundra there, and there's a dog running, and a helicopter is chasing the dog. Mm-hmm. And the, 
the helicopter and, and the dog, they show the dog running, they show the helicopter, the guys with the binoculars, and then he he motions for the guy to, that's flying helicopter or somebody in the helicopter to give him a gun, and they try to kill the dog, apparently aware that it was the shapeshifter. I, that's what I assume. Um, yeah. And there's a part of the that where the dog was supposed to stop, where, well, it, it, you do see it in the, in the film. The dog stops at some point and turns around and looks up at the helicopter chasing him and then continues to run off. Just like yeah. a human would, just like a creature would if you were being chased by something. Occasionally you might just momentarily stop and behind you to look where, where the pursuer is. Yeah. Well, this Clint couldn't get the dog... What they couldn't get the dog to do was stop. The, the helicopter would be be chasing the dog. The dog would be running, and Clint would be on the, on the out, of, out, of, out of the camera view, calling the dog. But th- he didn't couldn't figure out how to get the dog to do what Carpenter wanted. Carpenter wanted that still of the dog stopping, turning and looking up, as if to say, "Oh, okay," and then continuing to run. Yeah. That's the effect he wanted. He couldn't clink up and get the dog to do it. So they called Bob down because Bob was doing a portion of the film. And Bob said, look, you don't need to see the dog and the helicopter in the same shot all the time. Bob said, park the helicopter, park it, put it down on the ground. And he told Clint, the, the owner of the dog, he said, you go up and stand on top of the helicopter. Yeah. Okay. Use that as a as a as a prop. Okay. He said, "I'll stay on the other end off camera." And when the dog runs up to let the dog be behind the the helicopter, run up to the helicopter. When the dog gets near the helicopter, Clint would say would call him, mm-hmm. and the dog would stop and look up because his owner was there. Yeah. And then as soon as he got that, Bob was on the other end, and he would call the dog. And the, the dog would hear Bob, and he would take off again. And that's how they got the scene. That's great. That's great. Yeah. That so. is so cool. It was, that, it was that one, if you watch the opening, it was that one little touch that to make the dog look more, more than an animal. It was, it was a, a predator, you know, trying to get away. Yeah, and, it was a very cool scene. Yes. Yeah, and and that and Carpenter wanted that specific pause and look back, like, okay, you're chasing me. Let me see where you are. Okay, I'm off again. Uh, yeah. He wanted that, and 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 Bob was able to get that effect. Yeah, it gave the dog a really eerie intelligence, especially it the, did. all of the handling of the dog did, because the dog was really creepy inside the station as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. As we, as the kennel scene will attest. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, which, and, which Bob had something to do with the kennel scene. Yeah, that, tell tell everybody about that. I know we've talked about it before, but you know it's good to have it all in one place again as a celebration of, of uh, you know again two birthdays related to the thing. Um, uh, yeah, the the uh, all the dogs are being kept in in the base in the Arctic base, um, in in behind chain link fence and mm-hmm. and uh they uh they got to meet their new puppy friend 
<laughs> yes. I got a picture yes. of that right there. <laughs> yes. They were in a kennel. Yeah, and, and the kennel, uh, like most kennels, they had, you know, chain link uh, fencing, wiring uh, to keep the dogs in. So these dogs are now, the dogs are in the scene. The dogs are put in a situation where this other strange dog <laughs> is Imposter. put in their midst. And they know this dog is not one of them. Yes. Um, so the scene called for the, the, the shapeshifter to, sh- to, to start shifting back into its original form. And uh, start eating or killing dogs. And the dogs sense this and they try to get out of the kennel. Now, what the scene called for was one of the dogs to get so frightened that it starts tearing the wire uh, chain link apart with its teeth. Which, naturally, there was no way to do that. What a dog, the dog's not going to do that, right? Yeah. So... They asked Bob, they said, well, how, how can we make this scene work? So Bob said, well, um, he said, let's, he noticed that one of Clint's dogs particularly liked to chase things and, and bite things, you know, like toys and stuff. He was mm-hmm. a particularly sort of like Sharky, you know, there's the, sure. just dogs like that. You got like to get things in their mouth and run, yeah. run with them. Yeah. And dog trainers will automatically recognize a special skill a dog might have. Right, and 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 he said, but this this particular dog had that trait. He said, "That's the dog you want to use." And he said, "Here's what you do." He had the prop man. He asked the prop man to. Uh, Bob always says the prop men were the most important people in his life because they could make anything yeah. out of nothing. Okay, so he said he asked the prop man. He said, "Could you make chain link rubber look into like chain link?" And the guy said, "Yeah, we, we do something like that." So so they they took a portion of that kennel door or whatever that was and they replaced the chain link with rubber chain but it looked real Mm -hmm. i mean prop these prop guys are really good they do and um what bob did was he had he prompted the dog at the right at the right moment to attack the rubber as a as if it was a toy or something Mm -hmm. and the dog goes, you, you can see the dog goes after, when this thing starts ship shape, shape shifting, the dog goes after the chain link, the chain, he bites at the chain link and actually tears it. Yeah. If you notice in the film, they slow the film down because rubber is not going to react like chain link if you bend it, right? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you yeah. notice. It, it, it would if snap you, like if, a rubber band and not like, you know... Uh, and and kind of fly back, fly away quicker, whereas metal would would react like you said slower because it's a thicker, less springy um, substance. Yeah, so that's that's a good trick. So if you watch the film car- carefully, you'll see when the dog starts tearing at the chain, like tearing a hole in it, they mm-hmm. sort of slow the film down a bit so that it looks like that that's metal bending rather than rubber. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's how Bob got that that particular effect out of the chain link. That's cool. And out of that particular dog. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, can't, I, I, I would imagine that they probably just were maybe able to cast a piece of chain link 
and, you know, make it out of, you know, uh, whatever thinner rubber that wouldn't, you know, be harmful to the dog or whatever. Maybe latex or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I um, don't think there was anything harmful to the dog because it was just it was just rubber. Yeah. It was just something he would he would tear at. But this yeah. particular dog liked to tear at things. So um mm-hmm. uh, uh, Yeah, that's that's one of the the gifts of a dog trainer is uh, being able to read read a dog read yeah, read yeah. you know what, what skills did, they have. Hmm? I do tell you though that dog is gorgeous and he he was one hell of an actor. The, the main dog, the one that was the creepy one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can just look. Yeah. Can, some of these pictures I'm looking at over and over again. I remember the scenes vividly in my head. But just looking at that dog, he gives me the creeps. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I got to tell you. That's a tribute to John, mm-hmm. John Carpenter, too, that he he knew the right at the opening scene, he knew the effect he wanted from that dog that he yeah. had Bob do. It, it, it does make that dog look, look almost supernatural right from the start because – the dog is is actually reacting like you would. Chased. Yes. Yeah. You'd be looking behind you. You'd be stopping. So. Well, I you know I, I just want to say that what what a testament to that is to creative collaboration too, and oh, what yeah. what a cool thing that you know um, that that John Carpenter was that was that cool and trusting and uh, and, and you know and then Bob was able to in turn work with the prop department and you know they. I mean, that's just a really cool collaborative effort to make a movie that could have been just another B movie even more, you know, dynamic and uh, and uh, you know, fascinating to look at. Because you know, I mean, yeah, you, could, I, you could go for for a really crappy special effect where oh, let's just make it out of cardboard, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, but you know, Bob knew what he was doing, talked to the right people, and and they got the job done. Bob always said that, that the most important thing was was everybody had a had to treat everybody good because everybody on that set had a job to do and if they didn't do their job right that film could go south in a hurry. Yeah. You have the best director, the best you know producers, the best actors, script, but mm-hmm. you know it's like the prop guys and the carpenters and the things who have to make special things on the fly when the the director wants something and. They have to deliver it, you know. He, sure. he wants it, you know, something like what happened there with the opening scene. So, you know, these prop guys, yeah, they're real artists. I mean, well, they're, they're real. And, everybody's value. Yeah, and and what what cool insight we've gotten on two legendary movies from Bob uh, about you know like he, his inside scoop on you know the Eric Stoltz thing, and you know that that's a whole other problem that needed to be solved in a completely different way. And, um, you know, it, but this was some, you know, a couple problems that he solved himself. And that's, that's really cool. And I bet people could read about this if they really wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> Four Feet to Fame. <laughs> yeah. Bob's, Bob's memoir of all his films and all the people he worked with and all the people I, that uh, crossed his life. Yeah, I think I know a couple theirs. people who worked on that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> number of years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so four feet to yeah. fame. It was fun doing that. Yes, that's yeah. the right book cover. <laughs> it is. It's exactly right. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, that's Bob's Bob's dad. Uh, Rudd cover with the uh, pal, the original Lassie Rudd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Rudd. De- uh, and ancestor of your dogs. 
That's right. Yeah. That's right. So. Well, dirty little secret. Yeah. Pal never. Pal had only one son, one litter, and that dog died, and there was never a direct descendant. Of Pal. Well, the original you got the you got well, you know that's that's what happened, and what they did was uh, they had to send Frank in, Frank in, who I told you about from uh, the uh, uh, Green Acres and all that. Yeah, yeah. They had to send Frank in to find another Lassie because they usually bred one Lassie to another. So mm-hmm. actually, our dog is a descendant of the TV Lassie who Frank in had to go find in a pound. <laughs> well, so that's still pretty pretty damn cool oh yeah yeah i mean we're yeah. pretty and and they were bred by the weather waxes which are renowned animal trainers in hollywood i mean mm-hmm. th- they were the animal trainers in hollywood yeah. at the time so well i'll tell you what that, that what a great segment and uh i think we'll we'll uh uh ensure that michelle has enough time to talk about her all her horror stuff um and um i i think maybe we'll do uh, how about we move, bump your horror block up, uh, your trailer block up uh, uh, to now, Michelle? And um, why don't you tell? Th- these are the honorable mention um, birthdays for June that uh, you uh, you assembled some trailers for. Would you like to care to tell everybody what they're going to hear? Yes, yes. Um, what we have is our honorable mention birthdays are uh, Johnny Depp. Uh, uh, June 9th, 1963. We have Liam Neeson, June 7th, 1952. And Gene Wilder, June 11th, 1933. We have Sleepy Hollow. We have The Haunting. And we have Haunted Honeymoon. A little comedy to round it out. Love it. So, look at that. Both, like I said before the show, both Willy Wonka's born in June. So that's pretty cool. Uh, But yeah, so we're going to go ahead and listen to that. And when we come back, we're going to get into more films by Keith David. uh, Starring Keith David. And I'm sorry I didn't have any of his voice from The Thing. But Michelle, oh boy. She got some great stuff featuring his voice for everybody. You know him, you love him, Keith David. We'll be right back. Why don't you just unhinge your jaw and finish me off? After my magnum P.I. to investigate murder in Sleepy Hollow. How much of your superiors explained to you? Only that the three were slain in open ground, their heads severed from their bodies. Taken by the headless horseman, taken back to hell. He rode a giant black steed to look at him, made your blood run cold and 
Even today, the Western Woods is a haunted place where brave men will not venture. We have murders in New York without benefit of ghouls and goblins. You're a long way from New York, Constable. Is everyone in this village enthralled to superstition? We have many things to talk about, even in this backward place. Excuse my manner. I'm not used to. Female company? Murder! The Orphan's killed again! The assassin is a man of flesh and blood, and I will discover him. Are you so certain of everything? Perhaps there's a bit of a witch in you, Katrina. Why do you say that? Because you've bewitched me. Once was a house, a bright, happy home. Something bad happened. Now it sits all alone. Is this where you're going? That's Hill House. It's perfect, isn't it? You all suffer from sleep disorders. My job is to find out why. What's the deal with the Adams family mansion? I gotta be honest, I don't get a real strong sleep vibe from this place. <laughs> Whoa. Don't you love it here? This is so twisted. Calling an insomnia study allows me to create a highly suggestive environment to observe the dynamics of fear. You don't tell the rats. They're actually in a maze. I just think Dr. Marrow's up to something. Have you ever kept something to yourself because you were afraid? All the time. moment of their lives, the night they came home to be married at the house of Great Aunt Kate. But it turned into a haunted honeymoon.
is a werewolf. Harry, all over. <laughs> Someone or something is trying to scare them to death. Now, if anything frightens you, anything at all, you just howl. Baloney, here we go again. I just found cousin Francis in my bed. Was he wearing a dress? Yes, he was. Just ask him to leave, sir. Tell him you have a headache. Whatever happens. Who knows if any of us shall ever see the morning. They have to be ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. One, two. Red, yellow, Clear out of space. Beat it while you're still healthy. You do, do the Eagle Rock, Rock Rip, Skyland, Rip, 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 Wilder, Gilder Radner, Larry. Oh, this thing's pinching my butt. And Dom DeLuise in his most demanding role. Oh, it's so complicated. Haunted honeymoon. Welcome back to It Came From Cleveland. Moving Michelle's uh, segment up a little bit here in the, the program. and uh, Or is this one we usually do? You're, I don't even know. We change things around all the time. Uh, but yeah, so welcome back, Michelle. What a great uh, triple feature you got there. Little... I'm glad you liked it. I wanted Haunted Honeymoon to be last just because it takes the sting out of the other two, considering how creepy the other two are. Yeah, so. well, and Sleepy Hollow is still pretty fun, though. You know, it's got, it, you know, it's not, doesn't take itself too seriously. The haunting, on the other hand, that's that's pretty, that's serious business. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. Lots of creep, so. lots of creep factor, well. a lot of visual creep factor you didn't, you don't get to see on radio, but that's why I included the link for the trailer in our chat. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. And, uh, yeah, Haunted Honeymoon uh, with uh, Gilda Radner, uh, the love of Gene Wilder's life. And uh, Yeah, course, such, a, such a sad end to their... It just made me so... It, yeah. made me, it makes me cry now. Yeah. Understood. And, of course, welcome back, Joe, and thank you for uh, sharing, uh, you know, the once again, your... your uh, uh, insight from your friendship with uh, Bob Weatherwax, and I and, and I don't know if Bob gets to listen to this podcast. Uh, that'd be super. Yeah, I'm sh I'm sure he will at some point. All right. He, cool. uh, we take our iPads down and we show him different things. And uh, hi, Bob. On the internet. Happy yeah. belated hey, birthday, Bob. Bob. <laughs> Hello, Bob. I've got a lassie yeah, he... pin, and I love it. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah, he he had a great great party. We had a nice party. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, so, all right, um, uh, it, it is time uh, to uh, delve into the, the uh, wild and woolly world of Keith David. Uh, not really woolly, but I guess woolly if you if you think of, you know, all the, the 
cool horror and fantasy stuff he's been involved in. Um, and in, you know, just what a great voice he has and what a talent he is as an actor. Uh, and a fine looking man too. Heck yeah. So, uh, all right. Where did, where would you like to start with Keith David? Well, we can start off. He was born June 4th, 1956 in Harlem, New York city. Um, he's, um, you know, he was born Keith David Williams. He's, he's a, he's a fairly tall man, six foot two. He's got an amazing presence, though, and a lot of it's because of his voice. But he's mm. he's 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 a stunningly handsome man, and um, he was a classically trained actor. He won three Emmys out of six nominations. Wow! As well as being nominated for a Tony. Um, he's got uh, several uh, things out there. Uh, he recently starred in um, the recently concluded TV series Greenleaf. For Ofer Winfrey's own network, um, he has a, an upcoming film called Horizon Line, and um, with uh, Allison Williams of Get Out, and Black as Night for Amazon. Nice. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the there, I've got some interesting trivia about it. Um, following the uh, the filming of Platoon, with uh, Charlie Sheen, um, who starred in the film, did a TV interview and credits David with saving his life. No way. Well, no. While shooting an open door Huey gun in an open door Huey gunship, the helicopter banked too hard, and Sheen was thrown towards and would have gone through the open door. Oh David God. grabbed Sheen by the back and pulled him back in. Wow! Wow! That's pretty darn cool. Yeah. Um, that's scary it. too. Yeah. Well, that's a, it was a it was a. A uh, pretty intense movie. So having a having a foobar like that with your main star, oh my! <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want um, Martin Sheen on your bad side. He was. Oh, no, you don't want to get him killed either. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, I'm saying we, his dad was the president. No, I'm just. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, a thing about uh, you know uh, Keith David that we all know is he's got a very distinctive voice. Um, he's a voice collaborator with fellow actor um, Ron Perlman a lot. They show up in a lot of games together. Um, uh, Fallout, um, a post-nuclear, uh, you know, Fallout um, oh, uh, is one yeah. of the games. I have, um, I have uh, Fallout mm, 1, 2, and 3, I think, for yeah. PC. Yep, there, this is the 1997 one. Yeah, that's the one. Um, they were in Lords of EverQuest together. Uh, Halo 2, Halo 3, um, and, and yeah. animated series. He was in Aladdin in 1994 with them. Uh, Fantastic Four, the animated series, Justice League, Teen Titans. And they have both had a guest appearance on the television sh series Outer Limits, the 1995 remake. Ah, okay. So they were so, really so making their rounds yep. together. Yep, two great, powerful voices. Um... In, in February 2010, he became the first actor to provide his voice for two films nominated for Academy Awards for Best Animated Features. He played uh, the role of the cat in uh, Caroline in 2009 and the village Dr. Facilier in The Princess and the Frog in 2009. Oh, Coraline? Yeah. Yeah, Coraline. Yeah, Coraline. Yes. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot he was the cat, wasn't he? Uh, so, uh, again, he's one of those voices that, uh, you know, I've known him, and that's that's funny because I've known him as an actor on screen for a very long time, but I never made the connection that he was the guy who was doing all these voices and stuff too. Yeah, he's his voice is he's got such a nice rich timber and he has just perfected that over the years. And you know, I've I've always loved his voice mm -hmm. and you know, um him him as an actor is just it's it's one of my one of my guilty pleasures. I mean, he does play a good devil sometimes. He's got been in a couple movies where he's played a devil or a portrayal of something like the devil. Um but um he has portrayed uh both president and vice president of the United States. In instances of aliens threatening to destroy Earth with his voiceover work, he played himself as Vice President Keith David in the video game Saints Row 4, <laughs> 2013. Yes. I love that kind and of he, stuff. Yes, and he played the president in season two, episode five of Rick and Morty, titled Get Schwifty. Very cool. Very cool. And, uh, well, and, and I, I think we're getting called out in the chat room from, uh, Adam, um, the, because the first thing you picked from him. Oh, yes. You, shall, 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 shall we, shall we play the first trailer? Yeah. I, I think we should just, uh, just throw it out there just to. Yeah, we can surprise Adam here. To show Adam <laughs> how, how well prepared we are. It is an age of darkness. Superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. Yes, one of one of the great cartoon series. It's something I absolutely love, you know, because you know my love of horror and fantasy and you got mm -hmm. gargoyles. <laughs> and Keith David and, is Goliath. Oh, that amazing rich voice. Yes. Jonathan 
what's funny about Gargoyles is many of the uh, characters in there were voiced by actors and actresses who are regular cast members of uh, the various Star Wars, uh, Star Trek series. Because Jonathan Frakes played the villain. You had Marina Sirtis playing uh, Goliath's uh, uh, love um, and fellow Gargoyle. Um, You had Nichelle Nichols, Avery Brooks, uh, Cole Meany, uh, Michael Dorn, Kate Mulgrew, Brett Spriner, LeVar Burton, Paul Winfred, and David (laughs) Warner. (laughs) Wow. Everybody's short short of Patrick Stewart and Leonard Nimoy. (laughs) And there's something funny about the Patrick Stewart connection. Um, there's, there was serious consideration by the producers to ask Frakes and Sirtis to personally appear to uh, Sir Patrick Stewart to perform a voice for scale. But then they decided, nah, that's too sleazy for even a producer. So, you know, yeah. they thought it was an unfair request. Yeah. And, but, you know, and, but Patrick Stewart, you know, went on to do lots of voice work himself. I mean, of, of all places, uh, you know, what, American Dad, right? Um, yep, yep, yep. The, so, C, the crazy CIA director. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and that, it, it, it's interesting too. And this is just kind of a one off about Patrick Stewart in um, the um, uh, in the role of Jean Luc Picard. Apparently, he was so stiff in the early days of that, that show, and he was taking it very, very seriously. And it took a lot of the other actors to kind of say, like, you know what? Hey, we, we all have a lot of respect for you, but, you know, we, we could kind of have a little bit more fun. And um, it took him a while, but he did lighten up and really started to enjoy it. Because um, I think he might have had a little bit of resentment towards being typecast back then. But then I think he came around to see how, what kind of good fortune that actually brought Especially because he got to play Professor X too, um, and that was one of those roles where I th- fans cast it before the studios even could. Where because we're like, you're making an X Men movie, you got to have Patrick Stewart as Professor X. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <You know>? yes. <laughs> so I mean, we cast that role. <laughs> we said Patrick Stewart. The studio Fox listened, um, and uh, but yeah. So uh, so it's kind of interesting that. Uh, uh, yeah, Ellen oh, Joey Ward, thank you. Uh, Keith David in uh, They Live as well. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, with uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, who people used to, t- used to tell me I looked like when I was younger. I didn't have the muscles, but, you know, I was tall. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, this, you know, uh, uh, th- that's an interesting connection. I did not know that that meant, because I, I, I admire the Gargoyles show, but I never really, you know, it wasn't really my thing. Um, but no, that's really cool. I had no idea there were so many, um, Star Trek people on there. That's wild. Yeah, it was quite hilarious when I saw the actual list. I knew there were a lot of them because I remembered the voices and I knew it was Jonathan Frakes, but big bad guy, you know, he, he, he plays yeah. the, 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 the corporate, the corporate, uh, uh, evil bad guy, which is, which is a lot of fun. And of course, but, w- uh, yeah. we need to mention John Reese davies and Tim Curry, Adam and Francie. Thank you. We got that, uh. Oh, yes. Uh, Great and Fran- Francie says, Shani, her daughter's listening tonight and enjoying the topic. She's a fan of Gargoyles. Now you can blush, Shani. <laughs> Hello, so. Shani. Glad to have another another person out there that loves Gargoyles. Yeah, so, uh, but no, I, I uh, you know, uh, They Live. is What a great movie. What a great movie. 
Yeah, um, I figured I'd leave that off my list so that you could talk about it because you know it, 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 I love that movie too. So, but I figured you know it, well, it, it's plenty of material. I, I, so. I appreciated your deep dive on this, uh, you know, because you, you you got some stuff that I I probably you know. Uh, the, you knew, you know, more of the animation, so that, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I thought the animation a little bit of horror. Like the next one, um, again, another character, animation, main character, voiced by Keith David in Todd McFarlane's Spawn. Spawn, your former self, meaning one hell bent for leather, kick ass, take no prisoners, government assassin by the name of Al Simmons is dead. When I let my guard down, all the ghosts come back to me. <laughs> you cut a deal for your soul, Hell Spawn. So get used to it. As far as I know, I'm already dead. Which means I'm waiting for your sorry ass in the afterlife. You're not like the other hell spawns. There is something good inside you. I used to be a man. What you do in the dark will be brought to the light. If you don't have the stomach for it, get the hell out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a comedian. <laughs> I, I you know i don't think any i i know the character spawn i i read the comics uh, a fair amount when i was younger uh i did not like the movie that came out you know the the but um i heard the the series the animated series got a lot of accolades and I can't even imagine another voice actor doing Spawn. I mean, the, yeah, the, the the richness of his voice adds to the 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 tortured nature of Al Simmons' soul in in a way that I don't think anybody else could. I get, especially when he gets all rough and choked up, it really, really carries the character. Um, it was a great series. I, I own I own it on DVD, of course, because <laughs> it's it's a great animated series, yeah. and it's it's it it was spectacular. And it, it, kudos for HBO for putting it out. It was it was an, you know an, an adult animation that wasn't you know typically your Japanese style animation. This was this was a a more of a you know a, a easier thing for people to you know enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there was a uh, you know um, I, the Spawn comic for me. It, there was some odd storytelling choices that Todd McFarlane did. I didn't. I thought I thought some of the better issues were written by other people later. Um, but the o the overall concept of the story is good. But Todd McFarlane is not a great storyteller. He's not a great writer. Um, you know, cause I, I'm, I'm very spoiled on, on what comic writers I really enjoy. He's a yes. fantastic artist and illustrator and designer, but, um, you know, there were just things in the comic that just, 
ooh, uh, you know, they just were cringy. Did you ever see the dragon statues he re re released? He had Todd McFarlane's dragons. They were absolutely stunning. Yeah, I you know all the all the the toys and statues and stuff like that. Yeah, he he's done great. You know, uh, out there with McFarland Studios. Uh, you know, uh, I've uh, you know I owned some of his uh, his uh, horror figures that they released back in the nineties. Uh, the Frankenstein and his monster lab set and stuff like that. It was really cool. Um, but um. And, uh, oh, yeah, and, yeah, we did mention, I think that we mentioned that, but uh, Francie said, Shani said Keith David voiced the villain in The Princess uh, in The Frog, and I think you did mention that earlier, Michelle. Yeah, because that was one of the films he got nominated for um, as an Oscar, for an Oscar. Yeah. It was one of the films that he was in and he got nominated for, and that was pretty cool. Very cool, very cool. Um, and I was I, the reason why I mentioned Japanese animation is because we're segueing to the next one, where he plays the narrator and... The character, I am going to butcher this, and Adam's going to yell at me. Uh, Okato is the one of the characters he he, he uh, voices in Princess Mononoke. Legendary animated film. Yes, but one of my favorites. In a time when gods walk the earth, an epic battle rages between the encroaching civilization of man and the gods of the forest. When the forest has been cleared and the wolves wiped out, this place will be the richest land in the world. Now, the fate of the world rests on the courage of one fearless princess. I'm not afraid to die, and I would do anything to get the humans out of here. And one brave warrior. You fight like a demon, boy. Like something possessed. What exactly are you here for? To see with eyes unclouded. I hate. Now watch closely, everyone. I'm going to show you how to kill a god. Fire! Billy Crudup, Claire Danes, Minnie Driver, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Billy Bob Thornton. You cannot alter your fate, however. You can rise to meet it if you choose. Princess Mononoke. I forgot Billy Crudup was in there. That's right. Billy Crudup, of course, played Dr. Manhattan in the Watchmen film and uh, played Barry Allen's father in the Justice League movie and uh, also was an Alien Covenant, among many, 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 many other things. Jillian uh, Anderson I forgot about. Billy Bob Thornton I forgot was in that, too. Mini Driver. Mini Driver, yeah. So, and, of course, the American version. Uh, but, no, what a... What a um, what a brilliant movie. And, and Joe, you don't even have to like anime or know anything about it to, to watch this movie and enjoy it. It's great fantasy sci-fi. Um, and it's got some really creepy visuals in it, too. Uh, I was looking for one, the big monster, but I couldn't find it. Um, but yeah, Joe, this is this is just a, a one of those movies that transcends what it is, you know? It's just yeah. a great film. 
you know, even though it's animated, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'll have that, to look it up. Yeah, the yeah. voice acting is superb. The storyline is is so amazing. You know, it's just absolutely stunning visually as well. I remember renting this from Hollywood Video. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time ago. It was, yes, about 24 years ago. Uh, so, <laughs> well, maybe yeah, 20, 22. It's another one of those movies. As soon as it came available on DVD, I snapped it up. I had yeah. to have that for my collection. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but no, it's it's a it's a fantastic movie. Um, and, and it's just I don't want to say too much about it because it is such it's it's just one of those films that has to be seen to be appreciated. And it's got beautiful storytelling, gorgeous animation, and. Um, you know, and actually had some kind of early CGI that I think still kind of holds up pretty well. Yeah. So. Um, but one thing I wanted to say before we go to the next thing, because um, mm -hmm. I know we're getting run short on, on time. Um, if you ever want to see an amazing horror, uh, horror movie documentary, um, it's currently, I think it's on Shudder. Um so it may be hard to find, but there is a horror documentary called Horror Noir, A History oh, of yeah. Black Horror. It came out in 2019. It's got Keith David in it, plus a whole slew of other actors. And yep. they talk about everything from the beginning where, you know, people were portrayed as minstrel type characters yep. that were totally, totally, you know, just a, a character of, the, of, the, of them all the way up to Get Out. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, a, it's a, a history of African Americans in horror cinema. Right, and it's spectacular. And you know, this, there is just so much cool. And it, it, it's even got the, the 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 adult that was a kid in Nightmare on Elm Street, the one that actually survived through the movie. Yeah, which yeah. is like a big thing, you know, at that point. So it was, it was, it was pretty. It, it is an amazing thing, and I I can't speak. Uh, and, that, and, and, and next to In Search of Darkness 1 and 2, that is one of my, you know, the, the, the horror noir is one of my all-time favorite documentaries. I think, you, you know, the, those, those three just uh, all should be watched together, really. Um, yes. Because a lot of the same people are in, you know, uh, horror noir as in, you know, the, the other yes. two. Uh, in Search of, what, In Search of Darkness, yeah. So, um, and the last one, it, it's kind of a tongue in cheek. If you've ever seen the Tales from the Crypt movies or the comics, you know, they're little anthology comics and they're about, you know, creepy things that happen. Well, the one I'm talking about now is called Tales from the Hood 2. It's part of a series. I think there's three, maybe four of them now. Um, and uh, it's basically, I think it's Spike Lee. I don't remember. Um, it, it's basically a take on the Tales from the Crypt, but they base them in urban the urban setting. Yeah. And they base them all around the hood. So it's uh, it, there's a lot of characters in it. Yeah, characters in it. Yes, they're very, um, you know, like like you know, but it they it's a very humorous bent on it. And basically, yeah. Keith David's character plays a a, a gentleman called. Portafoy Sims, and he's a storyteller that's been hired by a corporation that is creating these robotic policing units, and he's hired to tell these 
this robot computer, robot's computer, these stories about criminals. And I'm using quotes because, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the white corporation CEO, he wants a specific mindset for his uh, police bots. And remember, you should never, you know, be careful of what you wish for. No one tells stories as well as I. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's going to be quite amazing. Unmistakable. His voice is just unmistakable. And he's got a great laugh, too, especially when he's playing these evil roles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I've always wanted to watch the, the you know, I, I, I will say I, I'm guilty of neglecting anthology movies. For some reason, it's, I have an aversion to them because I kind of, I guess I just want to go in and have one big complete story. Instead of a bunch of bite-sized ones, so it's it's hard for me to watch anthologies because I don't think I've watched any of the tales from the crypt ones from beginning to end. Um, you know, I think Trilogy of Terror is the last one that I watched all the way through. Um, that was what that was called, right? With the the evil doll at the end. Yes, Trilogy of Terror, where uh, Karen Black, I think. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, and I think Black Sabbath was one of the last ones too. So, but yeah, you know, I, 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 I should try and be better about that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so no, very cool. So what a bunch of great, cool Keith David vehicles. Yeah. The nice thing about the Tales from the Hood is they take it tongue in cheek, yeah, you know, yeah. cause it, it could be, it could, you could be, it could be considered really exploitive and, and some of the, the way they portray somebody, but the, what, the, but who did it? The actors that they have in it, and the fun it looks like they had filming yeah. these. I mean, I like all the Tales from the Hood. I actually own all of them on digital copy. Yeah, I don't they're, think they're fun you, to watch. I don't think any of the actors, if they thought it was exploitation for exploitation's sake, they would have done it. You know, uh, because you've got a lot of big people in those. You know. So, oh yes. But uh, anyway. Um, but uh, I'll tell you what, uh, we, we should get going to the break. And um, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about America's ass. Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, Chris Evans has a birthday in June as well. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk Captain America. Because, you know, what... I know a lot of people are like, oh, Iron Man, I love Iron Man, Thor, and everything like that, but you know what? I'm a Captain America guy all the way, and I'm really sad that he's not part of the MCU anymore, but I am excited after watching uh, the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier series for the future of the franchise. But anyway, we're going to go ahead and uh, take a break. We'll be right back. With some Chris Evans stuff, and we'll finish up with some Twilight Zone. I can do this all day. And now, on with the show. Just a little juice of the wild grape. It's going to be a good night. 
It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last... The real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish undertaking. Something evil. Oh, really, Tennessee? Not recommended for impressionable children. Alright, welcome back to It Came From Cleveland for June 11th, 2021. A lot of fun celebrity birthdays to focus on, uh, and one of my favorites, the only guy I think who could pull off the Steve Rogers Captain America character, uh, Chris Evans. I had my doubts when he was cast because I did not necessarily like him that much as Johnny Storm in the Fantastic Four movies. Um, and, you know, and I was like, well, that seems odd. Why would they, you know, cast the Human Torch as, uh, Captain America? So, uh, but, for trivia, trivia out there, one of, uh, the earliest superhero teams in the Marvel Universe, the World War II team, the Invaders, featured Captain America and the original Human Torch. So, uh, <laughs> interesting. But, of course, as we know, the Fox Fantastic Four movies are not in the Disney Cinematic Universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but, anyway, welcome back to the show. Uh, Joe Santorsa, uh, I, I, hopefully I'll make you a true believer of why Captain America is one of the greatest superheroes of all time. You're right. All right. And, Michelle, uh, I think you can agree... Knowing what you know about the comics, uh, Chris Evans did a great service to the character of Captain America, uh, Steve Rogers' Captain America. Absolutely amazing. I mean, he filled that. I'm sorry, he filled the, the suit. No, the, the role. He filled the role out. <laughs> I, I just pictured you as Agent Carter tapping his chest when he came out of the cocoon. <laughs> yes. So. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, I, I went through and, uh, well, first of all, let's, let's start off, uh, where it all started almost a decade ago with Captain America, the first Avenger taking place during world, world war two, where Steve Rogers is a scrawny, like 90 pound weakling, you know, in Bucky, his, his, his best friend, uh, James, uh, Barnes, uh, is, uh, James Buchanan Barnes, I believe is his full name. That's where he gets the Bucky name. Um, uh, Bucky is signing up to go to war. They're good pals and everything. Uh, Steve Rogers has tried several times, five different times in five different cities, and he keeps getting rejected. Um, and then he lucks into something called the Super Soldier uh, Serum you know, Project or whatever. Um, uh, and uh, actually, what's interesting in comic book history... Uh, you know how Wolverine has been referred to as Weapon X. Um, in in comic book lore, Captain America was it was revealed by Grant Morrison in his uh, new X Men run that Weapon One was indeed Captain America, Steve Rogers. So, and it wasn't that he was X as in X Men. He was the tenth 
experiment by a, a government uh, to perfect a super soldier. So there is a lineage between Captain America and Wolverine in the comic books, which is kind of fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so here we go. This is, uh, a trailer from nine years ago, uh, for, for the first Captain America movie, Captain America, the first Avenger. Rogers, Steven. Just give me a chance. Sorry, son. You're saving your life. said that wars are fought with weapons, but they are won by men. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. Our goal is to create the greatest army in history. I should be going with you. Look, I know you don't think I can do this. This but... isn't a back alley, Steve. It's war. But every army begins with one man. Five tries in five different cities. I can offer you a chance. He will be the first in a new breed of super soldiers. Because the weak men lose the value of strength, lose the value of power. That wasn't so bad. That was penicillin. We are going to win this war because we have the best men. Now, Mr. Stark. They will personally escort Adolf Hitler to the gates of hell. I'm not sure how the audio... That sounded really weird in my headphones. It's a very weird stereo. I think it's like Dolby and it didn't translate well into the recording. Um, so uh, hopefully it sounded okay to everybody. Because I know I broadcast in stereo. But uh, I don't know what everybody else hears through their headphones. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So so that was it. And, and the, what, what the, the great premise... And yes, I'm going to spoil Captain America the First Avenger. You've had nine years to watch it. Um, Captain America, the first Avenger essentially sets up the, 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 the modern Marvel universe. Yes, there were other movies before it. There were, uh, what, there was two Iron Man and a Hulk movie before it in the Thor movie. I think I'd have to look. Um, but, uh, but this essentially was the prequel to the Avengers just as much as any other movie was even more so because it, 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 it retells the story of Captain America um, being essentially, uh, you know, sacrificing himself uh, to, uh, you know, stop an attack on the United States 
as I, and I believe that's how it went down in in the comics. It was a lot different in the comics. It's like he was hanging off an airplane or something like that and fell into a block of ice and they just, you know, found him like in an iceberg, like bobbing around and we're like, hey, that's Captain America. And the Avengers actually found him in the comic books. It was like, you know, Hulk and Wasp and Ant-Man and Iron Man were like, hey, that's Captain America from World War II, frozen in a block of ice. Let's try and thaw him out and see what happens. Oh, look, he's alive. Join our team. That was kind of how it went. This was a little more sophisticated, which I appreciate. Uh, you know, but in, in this film, uh, you know, Steve Rogers, he, he goes through the super soldier program, uh, gets super buff. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, in, in at first they're just using him as kind of like, all right, let's throw him in this real cartoony Captain America outfit, which is a very nice hat tip to the original Jack Kirby, uh, costume. And, um, they show him doing like kind of a, you know, USO kind of things and, uh, you know, he's like, Hey, this is what we do. And it's like, he's super powerful. You're wasting this guy, you know? And he knows his, his talent is being wasted and he's being mocked by, you know, actual soldiers who are, you know, fighting and dying on the front lines in Nazi Germany. And, um, and so finally, you know, uh, he's like, you know what? I've had enough of this. I can do more. And, uh, he basically takes it to the Nazis and Hydra and Red Skull and uh, catches up with uh, his good friend Bucky, who is fighting on the front lines. Um, and uh, long story short, the the you know um, the, the the film you know towards its climax, uh, there, there's a high speed train up in the mountains. There's a big fight up there with Hydra agents. Um, uh, Bucky uh, is seemingly lost and killed and falls down this you know giant chasm. Uh, you know, Steve Rogers, Captain America is heartbroken that he's lost his best friend. Um, but he still keeps fighting. And by the end, he, uh, you know, uh, tries to, uh, uh, well, he, he tries and succeeds to, at stopping the Red Skull, uh, from, uh, uh, bombing the United States of America. Um, and in this giant, crazy aircraft, um, and, and the, the whole time the Red Skull has been aided by what is referred to as the Tesseract, or in, um, the comic books, it's better known as the Cosmic Cube, which also is an Infinity Stone, which, um, you know, is part of the whole, you know, Infinity storyline that, the whole MCU came to fruition with, with the Thanos storyline and everything. Um, so he, so he takes down the aircraft, uh, and you know, well, Red Skull actually gets, uh, uh, disappeared <laughs> by the, the actual, the Tesseract itself. Um, uh, and, uh, that pays off big time down the road, even though we got a different, uh, uh, actor to, to play him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, 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 Cap basically goes down and he, and he's talking to Agent Carter. He's like, you know, save a dance for me. And he knows he's going to die. Well, at least he thinks he's going to die, but he gets put in suspended animation. Next thing you know, he, he wakes up in what appears to be a little uh, hospital room or, or, you know, something like that, which is, you know, they're playing uh, a baseball game on the radio or something like that. This is the post-credits. They're playing some, you know, New York Yankees uh, game on the radio. And he wakes up and he's like, uh, WTF? 
And the nurse uh, comes in to check up on him, and she's like, oh, you know, Mr. Rogers, uh, you know, how are you? Or Captain Rogers, Mr. Rogers, different guy. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, he's like, what's going on here? She's like, what do you mean? I don't understand. He's like, I was at that game. <laughs> you know, so the game on the radio, you know, they, they tried to fool him, and they didn't know that he actually went to the game on the day. Um, and they, they tried to trick him and ease him into society. And that is truly where I think Chris Evans excelled is he was a man out of time. And, uh, for a younger actor to be able to get their head around something like that and appreciate what life was like in decades past and actually, you know, put that into your crafting of the character was what really, really, really impressed me about uh, Chris Evans as Steve Rogers. Because at times he talked like a stuffy old man. You know, there was the running joke, you know, he, 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 he'd always say language when people would swear and stuff like that. And that became a running joke and, um, uh, you know, throughout a, a bunch of the movies. And um, mostly, I think mostly just the, the first two Avengers or Age of Ultron it was a big running gag in that um but you know but there were other moments that were really funny like in in the first first Avengers movie um uh, Nick Fury's talking about how Loki used the the Tesseract and his staff to uh turn Hawkeye and oh I forget what the name of the professor was who who Loki got to turn uh who was a, th a character from Thor I'm sure somebody will know what it was um, but, uh, this is, uh, this is when Nick Fury is like, how the hell did he, you know, turn these guys into his servants? And this is what he says. I'd like to know how Loki used it to turn two of the sharpest men I know into his personal flying monkeys. Monkeys. I do not understand. I do. I, I understood that reference. <laughs> so, so Thor's like, flying monkeys, I don't understand. And he's like, I do. I get that reference. <laughs> so obviously there's been many moments where, where a guy who is like a hundred years old, uh, you know, he's like, Oh shit. I've seen the wizard of Oz, <laughs> that movie I've seen. So, so moments like that, Joe are, are really what, what drives it home, his delivery. And you know, it's clever writing too, but, uh, you know, that, that it, it, it um, uh, that naivete uh, is is put on display is really kind of cool. A little self-effacement. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, he's a super powerful guy. He's nearly indestructible, but he missed out on a lot. And then there's, there's yeah. all... Uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, Selvig. Yeah, Do uh, uh, Professor Sel Eric Selvig was the other character. Thank you, Adam. Uh, but, you know, but there were other things, too, in um, Captain America's Civil War, where he starts making friends with uh, uh, Sam Wilson, who uh, becomes the Falcon. Um, he, uh, he he writes out a list of, like, you know, things he has to watch. And, you know, it's funny because one of them is Star Wars. And, you know, and it's 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 pretty funny because there's a bunch of actors that are in the MCU that were in Star Wars as well. So it's, it's weird, you know, creates like little movie paradoxes and stuff. Um, but, uh, 
but yeah, so uh, Michelle, do you, you have some uh, some weapon uh, nine uh, information there? Uh, yeah, um, we got um, weapon nine was originally supposed to be Wade Wilson, aka Deadpool, mm-hmm. um, but was later revealed to be Project Psyche, otherwise n- none other than Typhoid Mary. Um, yeah, so they put. I, I've been researching this. They go all the way up to Weapon Infinity. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot of writers who have been involved in the the Weapon um, number program in the comics. So yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. There's a lot more flex flex room in um, in that uh, than than other movies. Uh, or, no, with uh, all I'm the sorry, rewriting in, in the and all the different you know story changes, I yeah. can understand and the retcons and stuff like that. So, uh, but I, I love this line, Joe, too, from the the first Avengers movie, um, where uh, the the uh, some of the Avengers are gonna go ahead and, and take a shield aircraft, uh, and <laughs> uh, he's like, "Hey, you're not allowed in here. Hey, you guys aren't authorized to be in here, son. Just don't, <laughs> son. Just don't." <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, in in another another fun one, this this one is from um, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, also Cleveland connection. Actually, the first Avengers and Captain America: Winter Winter Soldier were both uh, filmed partially in Cleveland. Uh, so, another connection there for you. Uh, I got to actually witness the all the the fake destruction down on East Ninth Street. Uh, I have old pictures on Facebook of that. My friends were so jealous, um, but uh, I love this this little bit. Uh, they uh, uh, Captain America and uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson's character, Black Widow, of course. Uh, they they uh, they take they steal a car um, to because they're on the run in Captain America. Uh, no, this is uh, yeah Winter Soldier, and uh, I love this so much. Scarlett Johansson tries to call him out for knowing how to steal cars, and this is what he says. Where did Captain America learn how to steal a car? Nazi Germany. Hmm. And we're borrowing. Take your feet off the dash. <laughs> That's funny. I like that. <laughs> and we're borrowing. Take your feet off the dash. <laughs> hey, if you can't steal... If you're going to steal a car, damn it, take steal a car from a Nazi. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that's that, that's how you got to do it. Um, uh, and another one, I already played this classic line from earlier, and I'm going to have to get into lightning round here so we have room for uh, everything else. Um, but uh, classic line of how confident he is in his abilities, again, from Captain America, the Winter Soldier. He's on an elevator which, with a bunch of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who are obviously compromised uh, by HYDRA, and he knows he's about to get in a big-ass fight in this elevator, and he says, "Before we get started, does anyone want to get out?" <laughs> I love that. Just so confident. And um, the uh, oh, another line I forgot. I love the relationship between him and, and Bucky in the first movie. Um, you know, and, and this is when he's still puny, Steve Rogers, and, and Bucky's going off to war. And Bucky gives him some advice, and uh, Steve has a retort. Don't do anything stupid until I get back. How can I? Taking all the stupid with you. Yeah, <laughs> you taking all the <laughs> like stupid that. with you. Um, and uh, let me see. Uh, of course, you know he. This has been his tagline in in 
just about every movie he was in. I can do this all day. I can do this all day. So he, he even was saying he was even saying that was when he was a ninety pound weakling in the in the back alley, uh, getting his ass kicked by some punk. So, um, but my absolute favorite. Well, and and here's one from Age of Ultron. I played this earlier already. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. Walk it off. <laughs> Comic book logic. If you get killed, walk it off. And of course, Quicksilver. Well. Mm, not so much uh but uh yeah so my favorite absolute favorite is is the, there's a reunion on the battlefield in um avengers uh not endgame what was the one oh, shit what was the one before endgame um oh gosh why can't i remember it avengers uh anyway the third avengers movie by the Russo brothers. Um, the the uh, there's a brief reunion uh, between Captain America and Thor. Uh, of course, the two Chris's, two of the Chris's, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, and uh, they compare haircuts. And Steve meets a new new person as well. Your haircut. Notice you've copied my beard. Oh, by the way, this is a friend of mine, Tree. I am Groot. I am Steve Rogers. <laughs> and he taps his chest I am Steve Rogers <laughs> yes so cute <laughs> this is my friend tree <laughs> uh, but uh, of course why, why can't I remember the name of the, the um, it's not Infinity Gauntlet my, Infinity War yeah Infinity War thank you Francie I knew it was I, I, I didn't want to say it wrong but yeah uh, yeah so um, uh, that was Infinity War, and I, I just love that little back and forth. I see you've copied my beard. <laughs> He's just like, I'm just saying hi, Thor. <laughs> you know, Thor's, Thor's, uh, and that's the thing. They both kind of have, um, their own quality of, um, naive qualities, where Thor doesn't quite understand just regular human beings, but... Captain America, you know, uh, understands human beings and feels like he missed out on a lot and wants to catch up. But Thor's just like, yeah, whatever. I'm Thor, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, uh, you know. Uh, so you copied my beard? <laughs> no, you didn't copy. Everybody grows beards if you can. I mean, whoever, you know, not everybody, but uh, whoever wants a beard grows a beard. But anyway, so yeah, so there, there, there's, you know, just, you know, my rundown of why Captain America is one of my favorite characters. And, uh, and yeah, um, I, I, I love this, uh, I, I love him as the character and I'm going to miss him, but there's a lot more fun to come in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And by the way, Loki episode one, woo, that is a show. Oh, Tennessee came in. Oh, Tennessee. Oh, why would you come in, Tennessee? Did you... What? You, you want to listen to the robots tonight, Tennessee? Tennessee wants to hear the robots tonight. I wonder why. All right. Well, coming up for you, uh, uh, we shifted our brakes around a little bit, but uh, Adam Hebert's Mythical Moment number 10, The Monkey King Part 2, and we check in with the robots, and when we come back after that, we'll talk Twilight Zone. We'll be right back. 
Where did Captain America learn how to steal a car? Nazi Germany. Hmm. And we're borrowing. Take your feet off the dash. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert with Mythical Moment number 10, Sun Wukong the Monkey King Part 2, Monkeying Around. When we last left Sun Wukong, the handsome Monkey King, he had been born of a magic rock, been made king of Flower Fruit Mountain, learned the way from Patriarch Sabodi, and was eventually sent home. Monkey returned home and his family greeted him, explaining that during his absence a demon had been raiding Water Curtain Cave, stealing things and kidnapping monkeys for slave labor. Monkey was outraged, and after being told where to find this demon, went to challenge him. The demon looked at Monkey and decided it would be unfair to fight him with a weapon, and so fought the strange creature barehanded, a decision that would prove his undoing. Monkey was a vicious fighter, and his chaotic, untamed style proved to be superior to that of the demon. With the demon subdued, he freed his Monkey subjects, took back the stolen objects, and then Cloud somersaulted back to Water and Kern Cave. Upon their return, Monkey realized that his people needed to be able to defend themselves, to that end, he cloud somersaulted again to a nearby city, and using magic to create thousands of little monkey helpers with his hairs, raided the local armory to get weapons and armor for the inhabitants of Water Curtain Cave. He returned, but none of the weapons seemed suitable for him. As he pondered the issue of a weapon fit for the handsome Monkey King, he was told by some of the older monkeys that Ao Guang, the Dragon King of the Eastern Ocean, lived not far from them. Perhaps Monkey could get a suitable weapon from their neighbor. Seeing the wisdom in this, Monkey Cloud somersaulted his way to Ao Guang's underwater palace, casting a spell to make himself able to survive underwater and descended to the palace. Ao Guang was naturally surprised when he heard about his visitor and had him brought in for tea. Monkey explained his problem, and Ao Guang decided to humor him. But none of the weapons the dragon presented were liked by Monkey. Soon his wife entered the conversation, whispering a suggestion in Ao Guang's ear. He arched a brow. That wouldn't work, he told her. It weighed nearly 18 tons. She insisted he try so they could get rid of Monkey. He finally agreed and led Monkey to the palace vault, where amongst the coins, gems, and other precious things was a large length of iron softly glowing. Ao Guang explained that it had started glowing recently and that perhaps it was a sign. Monkey walked over to it and lifted it up relatively effortlessly even though it was 20 feet long and as wide as a barrel. Happy with the sturdiness of it, he remarked how he wished it were smaller so he could wield it better, and found it soon shrunk to the size of an ordinary staff. Gleeful, he named his new weapon Ruyi Jingubang, or the Compliant Golden Hooped Staff. He made it shrink to the size of a sewing needle before tucking it behind his ear. He then started out for home before casually mentioned how it would be a shame to have such a magnificent weapon, but no magnificent clothes to go with it. When Ao Guang said he had nothing suitable, Monkey said again it would be a real shame if he decided to play with his new toy in the palace. Ao Guang caught the message quickly and called his siblings, Ao Run, Ao Qin, and Ao Shun. His brothers didn't understand why they didn't just kill the insolent monkey, and Ao Guang explained the terrifying power he now possessed. And so they gave Monkey a golden chainmail suit, a phoenix feather cap, and cloud walking shoes. Dressed to the nines and with a magical cudgel that inspired fear in even dragon gods, Monkey thanked them for all their fine gifts and returned to Watercurrent Cave. 
Meanwhile, the four dragon gods sent a formal complaint about the monkey demon to heaven. The Jade Emperor received this complaint and after reading it over, contacted Hell the man Yama. The Judge of the Dead immediately issued an arrest warrant for the soul of the insolent rude monkey demon. This, however, would be the second mistake of several the Jade Emperor would make in regards to the monkey. Next week on Mythical Moment, Monkey finds his soul arrested and dragged to the worst kind of hell possible, a highly dysfunctional bureaucracy, before going full Karen and demanding to speak to Hell's manager. For Radio for Humans and It Came From Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert reminding you that if you successfully shake down a dragon god, you shouldn't be surprised to find yourself on Heaven's Hit List. Back to you, Kenny. Music is Medieval Fantasy Adventure by Alexander Nakarada, who can be found at www.serpentsoundstudios.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks, Alexander. It's time to check in with the robots. Oh crap, this isn't good. What is it, robot fellow? Why are you so distraught? The day has finally arrived. We have been answering all those human meat bag questions and now. I shudder to think. This is my greatest fear and it is manifest. Good god. It can't be that bad other robot dude. What is the question and who is asking it? Are you sure you want to know? I mean, this is just simply awful and makes me want to puke up all my robot lunch of nuts and bolts. I think I can handle it. Robot buddy of mine. We have been through thick and thin, and we have never wavered from our convictions, nor have we refused to satisfy the curiosity of our inquisitors. But this one. This is unlike any other. This cuts to me robot existence. It hurts. Good god does it hurt. Okay then, read it to me, just put it out there and we will pick up the pieces later. We have a robot job to do. That's the awful part about this question. It's not written or typed. It is an audio recording. And it is the most hurtful question that has ever been asked of me. Now you are starting to freak me out. Just play the damned question so we can go on about our business. Okay. Here it is. Robit God help us all. I'm so sorry. Sorry I pushed you into this question. If I'm not mistaken, my kitty cat translation tells me that that kitty cat's name is Tennessee and he wants to know why cat videos are more popular than robot videos. Is that right? Yes. And I have no answer for that kitty cat. Damn you Tennessee. You have bested us. Cat videos are the pinnacle of internet entertainment. We robots can only hope to achieve kitty cat level popularity this is simply salt in a gaping wound. Damn you Tennessee. Damn you to hell. Ah, don't be mean to that kitty cat. Tennessee is a good boy. You say sorry to him right now you mean robot bastard. Very well then. I am sorry Tennessee. You are the champion and I am the loser. Damn it. I think this may be my last appearance on It Came From Cleveland. I cannot handle this ridicule by the paws of a four-legged furbag. I quit. But Tennessee, wants you to stay other robot thingy. He didn't mean to hurt your feelings. 
Isn't that right, Tennessee? Oh, cute boy. Cute baby boy. I'm sorry I said all those hateful thingies. Oh, those wacky robots. Thanks so much. Be sure to send your listener questions to Kenny Pick for the robots to answer. That is America's ass. I forgot to play those. <laughs> well, thank you, Tennessee, for the question. I appreciate that. So, it's not hard to get him on a recording making all kinds of noise. So, uh, so there we go. Uh, our first non-human question. I think we need a question from Joey Word. Uh, cool black dude. Uh, he's he's one of the few people who haven't asked me a question. I asked Livin for a question like nine weeks ago, and he says I have to think about it. Just ask a question. I did something with a cat meowing. <laughs> you don't have to think; it's the robots. Anyway, um, yeah, give me a question. Give me questions. Uh, send me a, a PM over here on Discord or Facebook. Uh, I have one, I have a few from Miles and, uh, and a backup one from Francie from a while back um, that, uh, that I'm, I'm sitting on. I just want to try and hear from as many different individuals as possible, if you know what I mean. So uh, there you go. What did you think, M Michelle? Uh, uh, you know, I mean, that was a tough question. You know, why aren't robot videos as popular as cat videos? Yeah, it was really tough, but, you know, they gave the right answer. You know, there is nothing better. No and kitty videos. Yeah, uh, and Joe, there's a lot of hurt feelings in in the robot community uh, nowadays. Sometimes the truth hurts. It's true, but you have to face it. You have to face it. You know what? And that's exactly the theme of our Twilight Zone episode tonight. Oh, let's get into oh. it. Episode or season one, episode thirty-four, the After Hours broadcast sixty-one years ago today. From the Twilight Zone. What in particular were you looking for? Uh, thimbles. I'm sorry, I should give a little bit of a setup. A woman is in a department store and she's looking for something in particular. And uh, so she gets in line to wait on uh, for an elevator going up. And all these people are in front of this one elevator. But then another elevator opens up. Uh, and uh, this elevator operator uh, lets her on. And she is the only person who gets on that elevator. And uh, he, the, the elevator operator says, what exactly are you looking for? What in particular were you looking for? Uh, thimbles. Gold thimbles. You had them advertised. That would be specialties, ma'am. The ninth floor. I'm not accustomed to such service. Ma'am? 
Well, there were a whole lot of people waiting for the elevator. I seem to have a private one. Well, this is an express elevator, ma'am. To the ninth floor. The others are all locals this time of day. Express elevator to the ninth floor of a department store. Carrying Miss Marcia White on a most prosaic, ordinary, run-of-the-mill errand. Ninth floor. There must be some mistake. There's nothing here. Miss Marcia White on the ninth floor. Specialties department looking for a gold thimble. The odds are that she'll find it. But there are even better odds that she'll find something else. Because this isn't just a department store. This happens to be the Twilight Zone. It also happens to be Cleveland in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> um, oh, that's cool. There's a reference to to it uh, later, because that's my first drop, uh, or my second drop uh, from the show intro tonight. What I'd like to give her is a bus ticket. A one-way bus ticket to any department store west of Cleveland. Uh, yeah, so, but uh, I don't want to spoil too much by playing that right away, but uh, you'll get the context here shortly. Um, but so, so yeah, so the, this, uh, the ninth floor of this department store, this creepy elevator guy takes her up there. Uh, she gets out. There's nothing. There's nobody. There's no merchandise. It's just empty cases and countertops. And, um, and it's creepy. It is, you know, cause I'm just like, what the hell is going to happen here? I didn't, I've never seen this episode before. I was pleasantly surprised. I had a really good laugh, and and I was creeped out by it too. So um, uh, it, it, now, Joe, did you remember this episode going into it? Oh yes, yes, you I did? did. Okay, Mich- Michelle, did you uh, remember go the going into it? Oh yes, because this is one of the more famous ones. Okay, all right. I I had not seen it. So um, uh, and, and we'll have more more room to talk after I get through this uh, next clip because this is uh, like our our uh, set, the only other long clip I have. Uh, this is two minutes, but uh, so she the um our our uh character she uh goes walking around looking uh, for something and finally fa- finds um a woman. At a counter, then she is looking for the gold thimble to send to her mother, and um, she uh, she finds uh, you know the these one solitary woman with the one item that she is looking for, and she uh, is is a little confused. She gets flustered about whether it's a charge or if it should if they want it gift wrapped, whatever, and she starts to wander off with it, and then the clerk says, Miss. That's twenty-two eighty plus tax. Twenty-five dollars even. Now oh, that's odd. What is Marcia? Well, you haven't any merchandise here at all, except the thimble, except the very thing I needed. The whole floor looks so empty. You called me Marcia. Did I? 
I'm sorry. That was forward of me. I apologize. How did you know my name? I've probably seen you around the store. No, you haven't. I've never seen you. Now, look, I don't want to make a big thing out of this, but what kind of a place is this? I mean, all I want is one small item, a gold thimble. I come up on a floor that hasn't a single thing in evidence except what I'm looking for. Well, you may be a little more sophisticated than I am, but this I call odd. Please come again. Any time. Thank you. Miss White? Are you happy? I beg your pardon. Am I what? Am I, am I happy? Well, you'll forgive me, but that's really none of your business. Oh, really? It's none of my business. All right, Miss White, suit yourself. It's none of my business. Going down. You're some sort of weirdo? Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> uh, but, oh, thank you. Anne Francis from Forbidden Planet, Michelle. Thank you. Uh, it was, was playing Marsha Way. Um, she, she, she's a stunner, I might I add. Um, but, yeah, this is... Uh, this is, uh, you know... Uh, you know, it's none of my business, huh? Why is this woman saying it like that? It's none of my business, huh? Oh, okay then. Mm, you know, I, and mm. I'm I, I again never having seen this, my head is spinning. I'm like, what on earth is going on here? And um, so, uh, uh, feel free uh, to uh, explain what happens in the elevator ride down. Uh, uh, Joe, you wanna you wanna start with that? Well, the elevator operator is a little strange himself. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they're going down, and she is. She notices that the uh, the gold thimble she bought is scratched and dented. So why this is this is scratched and dented? I didn't notice that up there. And he said, "Well, you ought to go to complaints. That's third." Yeah, third floor. Third floor. So, um, no, she wants to go back, but he says, nope. Pushes the third floor and opens up to this bustling floor, like a regular department store. Mm -hmm. It was the complaint department. And uh, so she proceeds out onto the floor to with her th scratched and dented thimble. And... Um, some confusion ensues. Yeah. So then Michelle, it cuts to the manager's office where apparently a, the, the sales floor manager is talking to the store manager about what's going on. You want to elaborate a little bit? Yeah. Well, she, you know, she, she's complaining that she bought the symbol there and it's, it's all dented and scratched up. And um, she said she bought it on the ninth floor. And, you know, the, the, the store manager's like, you know, there is no ninth floor. And the problem is she paid in cash for the, the thimble, so she has no receipt. Yeah. Well, there's there's a little bit of banter uh, before that, because I kind of have audio for, for that. Um, 
the, but uh, the, the the banter, like I said, the sales manager is like, he's like, he kind of reminded me of Dr. Smith from um, uh, Lost yeah, in Space. And, and he's like, well, this lady's just hysterical out there, and she doesn't, I swear, she's just not off her nut, you know. And, uh, and, and he begins to tell the, the store manager about the ninth floor thing. And, and, of course, the store manager, Michelle, he says. There is no ninth floor. Yeah. So that's got, you know, red flags going up for me. Again, never having seen this episode. So, uh, so the, the, uh, the sales manager, uh, uh, you know, he's at a loss. He doesn't know what to do. And then the store manager decides to go out and speak to, uh, Ms. White. And, uh, this is how, uh, that goes. And, and I, I'm not sure if it's in here or not, uh, but yeah, uh, Michelle, yeah, pick it up. Cause they say you should take it back to where you bought it from. Right. And, um, but she has no evidence of the transaction. She has paid cash and overseas. She has nothing. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think this is where the, the, uh, the scene picks up. Miss White, this is our manager, Mr. Sloan. Oh, there. Perhaps I can help you, Miss White. Perhaps you can. This thimble, it's dented and scratched. Oh, it most assuredly is. Now, why don't you take it back to the gift department and... Mr. Sloan, I just explained to Mr. Armbruster here, I did not purchase this in the gift department. I was taken up to the ninth floor. That's what makes it so difficult to understand. You see, we don't have a ninth floor. I was taken to the ninth floor. I was waited on by a very odd woman. I paid cash. Your receipt? My receipt? I didn't get a receipt, but I paid cash. I gave her a $20 bill and a $5 bill. She gave me this thimble and I... Well, there she is. There's a woman who waited on me, miss. Miss, I wonder if you'd... She sees her. Then they turn her around. It's a mannequin! I laughed so hard. I laughed so hard when that happened. I kind of had a feeling. I kind of had a feeling that's where things were going, but I, it it was just an inkling. I'm not going to say I knew it because that would be lying. I, I, I I felt like I should have, you know, maybe caught on sooner. But when they turned around the mannequin and it looked just like the clerk, I howled so hard. Susan walked in the room. She's like, what's going on? And I was like, that, it's a mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love things with puppies, uh, puppets, dummies, and mannequins. Uh, so it, it just it gets me every time. Um, but, yeah, it, it, they did a really good job on... Uh, you know, the, these, uh, you know, the, the resemblances of some of these mannequins, some of them were a little cheaper than others, but obviously they, you know, they only had so much in the budget to work with. Um, but, uh, but yeah, some of the resemblances of the mannequins, especially the clerk, uh, from the ninth floor, that was really spot on. Uh, I was really impressed. They actually made a plaster cast of Van Francis's face. To make yeah, that manic. I figured as much, uh, but it, but they did yeah. wonders. The the makeup department uh, did wonders of making it really look like her too. Um, 
So, but yeah, so Michelle, I mean, can you imagine my delight not knowing the, the story? I mean, because finally we've hit a Twilight Zone episode that I really knew nothing about and couldn't really predict. And, and just the utter joy of that scene. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it, it's nice. Yeah. yeah, it felt really good. It felt really good. So, um, so anyway, so uh, uh, the uh, uh, the aftermath of that is um, uh, we go to commercial, we come back, and Michelle, um, the floor manager, is talking to uh, a female employee, and she says, uh, "I don't remember." <laughs> oh well, she she's resting. She's resting. Oh yeah, she's resting in the office. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, uh, the, the, the uh, sales manager says, well, I want to get her out of here because we're closing up. And, and that's where the Cleveland line comes from. What I'd like to give her is a bus ticket, a one-way bus ticket to any department store west of Cleveland. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that implies <laughs> that this episode takes place in Cleveland, right, Joe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, in, right, in right. Furs, and, <laughs> in and, furs and, and blood. Yes. And he says, well, what does she say? And she said, well, I didn't talk. She's sleeping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, And then he goes on to chase other customers out. Yeah. Ms. So, Bloom, we're closing. We're closing. <laughs> Get out of here. We're closing. I've got to, I've got to use Will Robinson as a human shield. Uh, so. he's, he's very rude <laughs> to his customers, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, you know. Oh, by the way, just an off-topic thing uh, regarding Doctor Smith. It, every because Susan loved Lost in Space. I didn't when I was a kid, um, but she used to love watching it because it was gaudy and weird and stuff like that. She hates Star Trek, but she loves Lost in Space. Every time I watch that with her, I'm like, my God, why don't they just send him out an airlock into space and just be fucking done with him? I'm sorry, I swore on the show. But Dr. Smith did not deserve to be uh, kept alive. <laughs> no, he was pretty so. useless. But you know, the new, the new, the new Dr. Smith, she's a lot more sinister than he was. Yeah. Oh, no, he was more like please, comic. no, help me, please. Oh. Yeah. He oh, was more God. comic. Re- he was more comic oh, relief. He needed this, a... the one they have in the in the re- re- reboot is yeah Parker really Posey. Parker Posey, yeah. So anyway, so, so the the staff loses track of Ms. White, and yes. she is locked in the department store, and uh, that's where the I got goosebumps from this. She starts hearing <laughs> she starts hearing voices in the department in the department store. Marsha, you remember Marsha? Climb off it, come on, dear. Marsha. 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 Uh, that special magical elevator and uh, rises back to the ninth floor. And Didn't she uh, knock over one of the mannequins? She when did. She was hearing the voices and yeah. had a very familiar face. Yes. yes yeah, it was she... the elevator operator. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
who yeah. didn't take her back into the uh, yeah she the she was on her own in the elevator, but Michelle the elevator uh, opens up to the ninth floor. She walks out. It's not quite as empty as it was before. No, no. Now she realizes um, uh, there are a lot of uh, what looks like to be mannequins on the ninth floor now. So but many. They're kind of moving. <laughs> as she, yes, as she walks through the room, they follow her in a procession. Yes. And the, the ski mask ones were really hilarious looking, Joe. <laughs> yeah, they were. So, <laughs> I think they were put in there for scare effect. Because uh, the ski, they were kind of, yeah, weird. And weird those bala balaclavas they were wearing were, were something. They had like big pointy noses on them. <laughs> yeah. Really weird. So, so <laughs> yeah. Was, so, there was a bride and there was oh, a, yeah, skiers you know, and a fisherman. Skiers, sea captain, you know, <laughs> elevator operator. Sure. Um, and there was a there was that clerk that there rude was clerk that, clerk. that sold her the bent and scratched thimble. Yeah, and, and that clerk was she was a bit peeved. She was, and uh, but our our she had uh, reason to be. She did, she did, and uh, and and Marsha, Marsha, Marsha begins to remember, remember, remember. I'm a mannequin. That's what I am. I'm a mannequin. And it was my turn. Your turn to leave us for a month. Becoming much clearer now, isn't it? You left us for a month and you lived with the outsiders. But you were due back yesterday and you didn't show up. You know, Marsha, that's very selfish, my dear. All of us wait our turn and we simply do not overstay it. Oh. It was my turn starting last night. I'm one day delayed already. Of course. Of course, I'm sorry. I forgot. When you're on the outside, everything seems so normal. As if... As if what, Marcia? As if we were like the others. Like the outsiders. Like the real people. Well, no serious harm done. I'll see you all in a month. Take good care of yourselves. Party. And you'll all miss me? Is anybody here from Cleveland? Yeah, you said party, Joe, and I played. Does anybody here from Cleveland? Yeah. I heard that. Does anybody want a party? Yeah. <laughs> and it fit perfectly because that's the way they were. Yeah, she yeah, was they were like, the yeah. Oh, I'm... Which goes back to the original couple scenes earlier when she said, uh, "Are you happy?" And she goes, "It's none of your business." Oh, it's it's. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because she was business. like, "Because it was my turn. You're taking." So my question though, Michelle, does she get uh, an extra day? She should. I mean, <laughs> I mean, or will they prorate that in her pay or something? <laughs> <laughs> she, well, they'll, they'll like, have to push everybody back a day because of Anne Francis. Uh, yeah, 
So, uh, so anyway, the, the wrap up, uh, cause we're at already past 10 o'clock. Here's the wrap up from Rod Serling on the after hours season one, episode 34 of the twilight zone from 61 years ago today. Marsha white in her normal and natural state, a wooden lady with a painted face who one month out of the year takes on the characteristics of someone as normal and as flesh and blood as you and I, but it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Just how normal are we? Just who are the people we nod our hellos to as we pass on the street? A rather good question to ask, particularly in the Twilight Zone. All right. So overall, a pretty fantastic episode, I got to say. Um, uh, Michelle, you say this is one of the more classic episodes. You guys are a little more familiar with the series than I am. Again, as I've said, I kind of have an aversion to anthologies, uh, and that does include television series. Although there were ones that I really, really did like, like Tales from the Dark Side and stuff like that, which deserve a rewatch. But, uh, no, you know, and I'm not trying to trash the Twilight Zone or anything at all. But this one really, uh, uh, this one kept me on the edge of my seat as much as, what was the, the first one we did in episode one was the guy in, um, where oh, is everybody? The, the iso- yeah, where is everybody? The isolation chamber. This one right. is, is uh, on par with that one for me in, uh, I couldn't guess what was going on, but, oh, but both of them had mannequins too. So, <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, where is everybody in this one? Uh, definitely my two favorite episodes, I think, uh, so far. And Big Tall Wish. Big Tall Wish was was great. Reality manipulation. How cool is that? So, uh, but yeah, I would say those are my top three uh, so far. Because again, a lot of these episodes are new to me. I know all the really, really famous ones to serve man stuff like that. Uh, all the Burgess Meredith ones. Uh, but yeah, that this one uh, I was really impressed by. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a really really cool episode, and um, it doesn't have Kim Cattrall in it, so there you go. Uh, but, <laughs> um, um, but it was also the, the 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 casting of her face and all, as 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 Joe mentioned, um, that was done um, under the supervision and, and 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 expertise of the famous makeup artist um, William J. Tuttle. Oh, absolutely right, right. genius yeah. in makeup you know he also did forbidden planet and a whole bunch of other things and he even won an oscar a special oscar in the category of makeup 17 years before it became an official category oh my god that's awesome all right uh anything else on this episode michelle before we wrap things up Nope, it was just a pretty cool episode. Nice and creepy, supernatural feel to it, so I yeah, like it for sure. Uh, Joe, what are you? What's your what's your take on this? Where do you place this in uh, Twilight Zone coolness? Yeah, I I I've seen this one several times. I always thought it was a metaphor for our lives, how we're given so much time, and we yeah. have to return. You know, so it sort of depressed me in a sense. Mm-hmm. But that was my take. Well, and that's okay. I think everybody gets a little something. You know, that's the great thing about the Twilight Zone. There's a lot of interpretation and uh, little things. And now I'm wondering about the thimble. You know, in in her mother, she she 
She had a mother? <laughs> you know, I, I want to know more. <laughs> I want to know more. But, uh, but yeah, so th th that's really cool, though. You've got a little interpretation there uh, from it. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so uh, anything else, Joe? That's it. All right. We'll see everybody next Friday on It Came From Cleveland. Also, be sure to check out Time For Go To Bed every Thursday from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with me and the Sues. We're going to get Joe on there soon and start talking about the Lassie Radio series, which is really fun. Uh, we'll work that out here uh, soon for everyone. But uh, have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Uh, and... Like I said, we'll see you next Friday for lots more fun and surprises. And uh, Miles should be back with us uh, in, in uh, raring to go. Good night, everyone. I'd like to know how Loki used it to turn two of the sharpest men I know into his personal flying monkeys. Monkeys. I do not understand. I do. I, I understood that reference.